with Systemically Distorted Communication. I'm here with Brandon today, the host of Starting Nowhere podcast. Brandon, how are you doing? I'm living a dream, man. How about yourself? I'm pretty good. Actually, I love that response because that's literally what I've said almost my whole life. People ask me how I am. I'm like living the dream. My Instagram says uh, dreams are made of me. <laughs> so <laughs> it, It's weird. I started saying that um, after, so I'm I'm a veteran. I was active duty Air Force for just shy of 11 years. Um, and they had this motivational speaker come out to us. And he said that. And then so for like a few weeks after he he left, everybody was saying it like kind of as a, a jerkish thing to say to each other. Um, and then I started like really thinking about it. I'm like, no, wait, like I am living a version of the dreams that I've always had. Like everything mm-hmm. that I'm doing is part of what I've always wanted to do. And I can't just picture like, you know, being 60 on the beach as the dream. Like if I do that, then my entire life was a waste. And I only dreamed for a few years, you know, I'm only living my dream for a few years. Like all of this is part of it. So all of it becomes it. But what's really weird to me is how many people react to it when you say things, because you know, people always have like, Hey, how you doing? How's it going or whatever. And if you say fine, and they don't care, they move on, right? They, they would say, when you say living the dream, they like actually stop what they're doing and look up at you for a second, like a cashier or something like that, or they chuckle. And I'm like, well, how is that so shocking to you that somebody says that? I don't know. It's just, again, a weird tangent to go on, but it always is weird to me how many people actually react to that saying. Yeah, it, you always get a different reaction, whether it's like a, a slight smile or a smirk. It's always a better reaction than good, how are you, or uh, I'm all, all right. So yeah. I'm always getting a better reaction out of that than anything else. And if I happen to be out when people are drinking, then it elicits at least a, a good conversation because then we'll talk about it. But um, Absolutely. So anyway, you have the Starting Nowhere podcast. Uh, can you just kind of briefly go over what is your podcast about? What was your motivations for starting it? And what you, what's your goal and what you talk about on your podcast? Absolutely. Uh, so my podcast is built around the idea of having conversations with people because I feel like that's something that we've lost. Um, and I don't, I'm not one of those people who blames it on social media. I don't think we were ever good at having conversations. <laughs> we always avoid, you know, the conversations we really should be having, which are race, politics, uh, religion, and money. They, we, they tell us not to talk about them. They're like, you're not supposed to ever talk about those and stuff like that. So it, it, it came to me last year after the George Floyd situation happened. And a friend of mine was looking for uh, black people to like kind of talk about their experiences and everything like that. And I said, sure, you know, um, and I really enjoyed the conversation. I found it very fruitful. I found it was very uh, cathartic in a lot of ways and stuff like that too. So I was like, you know what? Let me do a podcast. Let's have more of these conversations, you know, not specifically just about race. I'm not like somebody who needs to talk about race all the time, but uh, anything else, you know what I mean? Like COVID obviously came up and it was one. Uh, I've talked to police officers, like just all kinds of stuff or whatever, you know? So I just wanted to have a platform to do that and really get to talk to more and more people about different things I would never even think about, you know? Uh, as nerdy as I am, I, I have an episode coming up that I'm pretty excited about that's uh, with a tax expert, you know what I mean? And I had an estate lawyer. So just like informative, entertaining, or controversial uh, topics. I unfortunately have not as had many as many controversial ones as I was hoping to have, but I'm, mm-hmm. I'm hoping to push that more. I've got an episode coming up with a uh, relationship expert, and we had a couple of different views on how relationships get put together. So that was fun. I think that me and my girlfriend need to uh, connect with that relationship expert. We have some questions. <laughs> I, I um, Well, I'll say this. One of her the things she, again, I'm stepping on my own toes here because the episode will be out in a few weeks. But uh, one of the things I told her I liked about when I met my girlfriend, it was that she paid for her own meal. You know what I mean? Uh, because it showed me that she was you know, mature, that she was an adult, and that she wasn't expecting me to take care of everything. She's like, I would tell my female clients not to do that. She's like, the man wants to pay. The man has this desire. I'm like, no, <laughs> I like, no, I don't. I don't have any of that. What are you talking about? It's like, I'm not some freaking caveman or whatever. They're like, I need to provide and stuff like that or whatever. Like I'll provide. Don't get me wrong. If I, if I'm the one who's the breadwinner or whatever, but 
Like, no, I don't have some desire that I need to provide for this woman or whatever. I actually get upset sometimes with how much I'm asked to do that. Not by my girlfriend now, to be clear, but mm -hmm. like women in general or whatever, you know what I mean? Like that I'm supposed to provide for stuff. Whatever. Like, why? But we're both adults. Let's come into this together. Let's do this. You know what I mean? But anyways, again, I, I happen to go off on a lot of tangents and I apologize. No, that's fine. This is what this is all about. Um, but no, I felt the same way with uh, that sort of situation. Like I have no problem providing, but... Mm -hmm. I guess maybe along with what that person's saying, uh, it is nice occasionally to see someone reach out and say, Hey, I'm willing to cover this one. And 98% of the time I wouldn't say, no, I've got it. Thanks for offering. But it is nice to see that they're willing rather than expecting. Yeah. And, and the way that I, I, I even told her this is that it's so commonplace in Western culture for women to not pay for meals. And I don't necessarily detract from like how I'm feeling about a girl because she didn't pay, but mm -hmm. I definitely give bonus points for a woman who does, you know what yeah, I mean? For sure. Uh, yeah, absolutely. So, um, yeah, I, I think I'm also in the same boat as far as, you know, I wanted to, for the most part, I, I really wanted to talk to people that disagree with me. It's just much easier when with the advertising and whatnot, people that agree with me tend to reach out more. Mm -hmm. And so I, it is more of a challenge to get people to come on and disagree with me. One, because they kind of make an assumption before they come on and uh, it just, it, it makes it more challenging. But uh, if you, if you wouldn't mind, if you don't want to say this, you don't, you don't have to, but I'm just kind of curious before we get going, if you're. Uh, open to telling what is your like political affiliation as far as like what are you most closely aligned yeah. to oh i'm an independent <clears throat> excuse me uh, i i am a staunch independent i've never been a registered member of either party i will never be a registered member of either party i don't believe in party affiliation i think that america's system of bipartisanship is nonsense uh we have other parties that exist but none of them are realistic. You know what I mean? Um, mm -hmm. And I was actually talking about this with somebody the other day. I'm cautiously optimistic that former president Trump will run third party in the upcoming election. And that'll force American politics into a more multi-party system and everything. So, so anyways, long winded answer, just to say, I have no party affiliations. Uh, I would say that I'm socially uh, liberal and I'm, um, excuse me, fiscally conservative in a lot of ways and stuff like that. So if I was to pick a party, I'd probably line closest to libertarian or something like that. Okay. So full disclosure for anyone that's listening to this, we did not at all talk about our affiliation beforehand. So um, as far as mine goes, I'm, I'm pretty libertarian as well. I think I'm kind of socially liberal to an extent, but I think over the past few years, uh, maybe somebody would not classify me in that because I think it's gone so far that, that it's regressive instead of progressive. Um, so that's just kind of my position on that. And then I think I would kind of be like a right leaning libertarian, just full disclosure. Hmm. Um, all right. So over the past year, uh, it's obviously been a chaotic year. So what kind of stands out to you as the biggest problems Obviously, we have COVID, but with the social issues around that and kind of the things that stand out in your mind, what just what comes to your mind for the last year, maybe two years? Um, I'd say the biggest issue that we're seeing, or one of the bigger issues that I'm really seeing that is bothering me is what's happening with people's opinion on social media and the bipartisan support for social media regulation. I think that's a terrible idea. I think it's, it's a really weird concept in that I'm seeing a lot of my right-leaning uh, friends who are saying that 
the government needs to come in and regulate social media. I'm like, what? It's like, that is an anti-conservative perspective. How do you arrive at that just because they banned, uh, you know, President Trump and some other QAnon people and stuff like that? Like, sure, you don't like who they ban. I understand that. But your answer to them banning people you don't like, excuse me, that you're, you're not happy they banned is government regulation. That is the complete antithesis of what you believe or you're supposed to believe anyways, fundamentally for what you're talking about. You want the government to come in and regulate a private business because you don't like what they're doing with their own platform. Because that's the thing. I think we have this weird contorted view of what freedom of speech is and all these different types of things. There is no freedom of speech or freedom of expression on private land, private property, or private platforms, which all of them are facial, uh, excuse me, Facebook, uh, social media platforms are. They're private. If you don't like them, you leave at any time you want to. That's, the, that's your right as an American. That's your right as a user of those platforms. And then you can have other ones that come and serve your, your niches, which is Parler. Uh, you know, there used to be like 4chan and 8chan and like just all these platforms that don't believe in uh, moderation as much. And so now I'm seeing a lot of people who are saying, no, we need the government regulation. Like, so you're telling me you want Nancy Pelosi, Chuck Schumer, uh, I'm Mitch McConnell, sorry, I'm blanking on all of the specific <laughs> people's names now. You're telling me you want these people to come in and tell you what you can and can't say on, on the platforms and like, oh no, no, it'll be free because they're not allowed, allowed to do that. I'm like, do you not realize the FTC exists? The FTC literally regulates free speech. They already have an entity that does this. And so you're inviting them into a new medium. They're doing mm -hmm. it on television. They've been doing it on television radio for the majority of life the internet's the next frontier and you're with welcome open arms inviting them into that because they banned somebody that you want to see they didn't mm -hmm. ban them from the internet they banned them from a specific private entities platform like mm -hmm. anyway so i again going off on a long rant about this but but that's one of the things that i've been the most shocked at over the past couple of years uh a, a worldwide pandemic yeah that can happen you know what i mean uh racial tensions it's America. What are you talking about? We've been in racial tensions for hundreds of years. Uh, you know what I mean? So I, I just think that that was the biggest thing for me that I'm really seeing that is really new is that we're seeing people on both sides of the aisle, bipartisan support in the government and people who at home are registered Democrats or um, conservatives who are asking for government regulation into private platforms. Mm -hmm. So I, I'm really torn on this issue because like I claim to be mostly associated with like a libertarian ideology, but at the same for one, I absolutely do not want government in intervention in almost anything because no matter what it is, no matter how small it is, that's step one, five years later, you get maybe step two, five years mm -hmm. later, step three. And there's no, there is no drawing back. It's like trying to tell, you know, uh, people that are going into artificial intelligence that or people that are investigating artificial intelligence and working that's that one day they're going to hit a point and then they say, Oh, this next step is too dangerous. We're just going to pull back. No, they're going to keep going, going, going. They're always looking for the next step. So I fully agree with that. But then on the other hand, I'm a little bit torn when you have social media that is such a humongous part of our society, kind of like a, I'm sure you've heard this argument of it's become the town square. Mm -hmm. And so when I connect that to, let's say, just the telephone companies, let's say a telephone company says, I don't want anyone, any liberal speaking using our telephones, or I don't want any conservative speaking using our telephones. And then they were to cut off anybody that disagrees with their perspective kind of opens my eyes a little bit to like the damage that that can cause. And I, I don't know what the solution is because I don't want government intervention, but at the same time, a part of me wants something that tells people 
once you get to a certain size and a magnitude that society relies on, you can no longer, unless they're violating the laws within our country, like strict laws, not just the ones that you don't like or the, mm-hmm. the, the ideas that you don't like, you cannot kick people off. But that's government intervention and it goes against almost everything I believe in. What do you think about that? Well, I, I think what you're talking about there is one of the one of the things that I always go to where people that's a and I'm not saying you you with what you've said there. I'm saying that the way that that thought comes together, it's an mm-hmm. anti-capitalism stance. Mm-hmm. Because what you're saying is that if you're successful, if you build something big enough, you become so foundational to our society that you're no longer allowed to control what you've built. Because mm-hmm. Facebook built this. Mark Zuckerberg, all these investors, and everybody, they built what they have. If you don't like Facebook or what they're doing anymore, leave it. You can do that at any time. That's why I'm saying like it's it's this mentality or or uh, what's the word I'm looking for? I apologize. Uh, it's like you feel like you have a right to Facebook. You don't. Mm-hmm. It's a private platform. And I, again, I'm, I'm using the royal you, not you. No, I just I want to make totally sure that understand. it's clear don't to everybody worry, I'm who's not, listening I'm that not I'm not attacking you. <laughs> but um, <laughs> we're over. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, right. But no, so like, and I think that's really what that comes down to because people use that same thing. Well, it's too big. So you're saying it's too big to fail. You're saying it's the AIG. You're saying it's the JP Morgans. You're saying it's these companies, but it's not though. If you mm-hmm. left Facebook, what really changes in your life? you have to go through a little extra maybe to talk to your family. You mean like what we did 10 years ago? <laughs> Facebook isn't that old. We're, yeah. we're just so spoiled and we want it, but then we want it exactly the way we want it. And that's mm-hmm. what we keep saying. Like the reason that I don't go to parlor is because I don't think that that's the place for me. So mm-hmm. why is Facebook any different for anybody else? Just because you want it doesn't mean you're owed it. If you want it and it's not being what you want anymore, then you don't actually want it. Leave mm-hmm. it. Go find your place that is for you. Go find the thing that is for you. And if you're saying well, my friends and family aren't there, then what you're saying is you need to abide by the rules to talk to your friends and family in this platform or reach out to them directly. You have a cell phone. Like to your point, like you did the example you just gave, the phone company's not cutting you off. Say whatever the hell you want directly <laughs> to somebody. Why do you need to say it on a Facebook page? I just don't get that mentality. That's the thing yeah. that I, like I said, that I have a problem with. If we're talking about something that I can't avoid, like if I lived in a neighborhood where all I had was Comcast and Comcast was telling me I can't do X. Now, okay, yeah, I need government intervention in that because I have no other options. I can't do anything, but if this mm-hmm. isn't that example. And so now again, they're inviting the government in it. And to your point, and that's exactly how I feel too. They're not going to leave. They're not going to yeah. come in and do exactly what you want to do and then leave. They're going to come in, piss everyone off. <laughs> and then they're going to stay there forever. Now, social media is essentially just dead. It doesn't do what it's meant to anymore. And now you gave them a legal precedent for regulation into other internet, uh, in other internet chat rooms or, or forums or whatever else you're talking about. Mm-hmm. Why? Because again, they banned a former president and they banned some uh, conspiracy theorists and things like that or whatever. Or if you're a believer in QAnon, you don't consider yourself a conspiracy theorist, whatever you consider yourself, right? Yeah. Well, just go to a different platform. You, yeah. How did MySpace die? We left. Mm-hmm. We all left. We didn't talk about it. We didn't come together and go like, you know what? I, I don't like this anymore. We just left. We found something else we liked and we left. You know Vine what? did the same thing. We've killed platforms before. Kill uh-huh. Facebook. Kill Twitter, kill Instagram, whichever one it is that is upsetting you, kill it. And you know how you kill it? By leaving. Stop talking about it. Stop commenting. That's like literally how they make their money. It's all ad revenue. They don't sell almost any products. If mm-hmm. you don't go, they make $0 and they will die. But it's so addicting. <laughs> that's, but that's the thing. That's my point. You want the Percocet. You yeah, just yeah. don't want it to hurt yeah. you. <laughs> you know no, what I mean? That's the thing with MySpace. Actually, it's kind of weird because I don't know at what point was the last day I went on MySpace, but... I remember just randomly, I was sitting there like, oh, I completely forgot that I ever used to use MySpace. And I went to log into my account and I'm like, oh, like, oh, I can't find it. I can't find it. I'm looking everywhere. It just didn't exist anymore. It was really weird. But I guess one day I just didn't log in and I forgot it existed. Yeah. So. And, and 
what happened, I imagine for you, like it did for me, like it did for almost everybody else who's not still on MySpace. By the way, MySpace still exists. It's not dead. It, it's still around. It's just nobody like uses it. It's like a music platform or something now. It's really weird. I, I couldn't find like any way to like log into anything that I had before. And I was seeing a bunch of stuff I didn't recognize. I just gave up and went away. <laughs> the <laughs> last time that I logged into MySpace, because I, I do this every couple of years, I feel like, uh, I think it was 2019. I, I want to say it was 2019 was the last year that I went on there. Because I'm like, Every, one, every couple of years, I went like, oh, man, how stupid was I when I was using MySpace? Maybe I need to go scrub that. <laughs> Maybe I need to go see what I was saying on there and, and catch myself because, you know, I was early 20s, you know, whatever. Like, I couldn't have been that smart. So I probably was saying a bunch of dumb stuff. And I don't, I don't need that coming back to bite me if I ever hit the lotto or something, right? So uh, <laughs> I go in there and log in every, time, every once in a while to see what I can see. But, uh, but yeah, but, but anyways, the, the point that I was getting to is that you left MySpace because your friends weren't there anymore. The, the, the platform wasn't interesting. You went to somewhere else. And like, that's my opinion of how you do that. That's the capitalist way to kill businesses. Stop going. And yeah. let me just drop one other tangent I have on here that I always get on my uh -huh. soapbox about because I think people don't understand how the internet works. If you don't like a post, either on Instagram or on Yahoo or anything, do not comment, do not like it, completely avoid it. You probably won't see it anymore. But when you interact with it, that tells the algorithm that you either like this content or you at least interact with that content. So it gives you more of it. So on Yahoo, I see this all the time. By the way, the Yahoo comment section is a cesspool. It's an absolute cesspool. <laughs> but anyways, people go on there like, I hate these articles. Why do you write these articles? Because you keep commenting. You keep giving their feedback loop, the feedback that you like this content or that you at least interact with this content. If you don't like it, don't interact with it. That's the way you kill it. You stop interacting with it. It'll go away. Yeah, I mean, for my understanding the algorithms it's like it's not trying to cause dissent but uh for, from what i understand statistically people tend to comment and interact with things that make them more angry yep and so that's what you see more it's like oh, i hate this and then i comment about it and then you get more of it because you're commenting on it. it's like this vicious circle that never ends unless you cut it off so. well and that's that's the thing i always try to point out is like mark zuckerberg is neither some a uh, super liberal dude who hates all conservatives, nor is he some uh, hardcore, excuse me, a uh, cold-hearted capitalist who just wants to make all your money, doesn't care who he hurts. He's a businessman who wants to make money. What makes money he's found from the algorithm and every other social media platform is people want to see certain things. Well, how do we know what they want to see? Well, they interact with it by commenting or liking. So all they're doing is trying to do what you're telling them that you like, that you enjoy, <laughs> that you're interacting with. They're trying to make money. If you yeah. think about Facebook instead of political terms, whether it's either e evil, liberal, uh, uh, crushing down the conservatives, or that it's trying to make all this money and is letting people share misinformation for, because uh, if you're a liberal or whatever, it's just a business. He wants to make money. He's going to do whatever it takes to make money. And what he has decided to do is to ban certain people. And he's also decided to ban people randomly. Like I know a bunch of people who are just small people, liberal, uh, conservative, anything else who just said something or posted a picture or whatever it was. And they got banned for like a month or banned mm -hmm. for 24 hours or whatever. So like that too. So it's not just uh, conservative people. It's not just uh, liberal people or whatever. It's the platform. They're trying to protect themselves because he wants to make money. You, yeah. you, everybody's like, oh, well, he's got enough money. You never have enough money. That is not the way people like that think. <laughs> of course not. Um, so we've talked touched on a few different things, but it, based yeah. on what you're saying, you know, I was kind of talking about public square and, and whatnot. And yeah, I think your point, your point is good because I agree with literally everything that you've just said, but I have this nagging thing in the back of my oh, head. Yeah. that's like, I don't like the idea of people cutting people off or any sort of censorship. But the other side of my brain is saying, this is how capitalism, capitalism works. And this is 
people's right within in their own business. Do you think there's any difference when it comes to public figures? And with that, a difference between a company claiming to be a platform versus claiming to be when they're they're acting as a publisher, but they're claiming to be a platform. Because I think that's where my confliction comes in, because all these companies are saying we're a platform, Mm -hmm. but then they're acting like a publisher saying this isn't okay and that's not okay. And there's some several cases where they've just completely cut off media that has factual information because they say it violates their terms, but you can find numerous other situations where things have violated their terms that they're okay with. Mm-hmm. What do you, uh, how do you feel about that? I have a, a slightly hyperbolic uh, um, analogy or comparison I'd like to make just because I think it's funny. Okay. Um, you have your own domicile, right? You live in a place, whatever it's apartment, house, whatever it is, doesn't really matter. Mm-hmm. By the way, I love that chalice you're drinking out of. It's pretty uh, incredible. Uh, thank you. <laughs> I was thinking about going on to Amazon where I got it and sending them a message and being like, hey, if I put a link on here, can I get like a, a little bit of a, like one cent for anyone that buys this? Like, exactly. That'd money. be awesome. Yeah. <laughs> um, so you have a, your house. You're allowed to set the rules in your house. I have an apartment that I live in now. Uh, I'm allowed to set the rules in my apartment. If I took my rules to your apartment, you probably have a problem with it. You know how I know that? Because I'm allowed to be naked here. If I show up at your house naked, suddenly there's a problem. So what we're saying is, again, in essence, that you're allowed to set the rules for your platform. If I don't like your rules, then I need to go somewhere else. And so what you're talking about there with the censorship of news, that's the first step. You shouldn't be getting your... I'm allowed to swear on here. I don't know. I apologize. Okay. So you shouldn't be getting your goddamn news from Facebook in the first place. It's a terrible place to do it. All Facebook should ever do for you is tell you what to Google. That's it. Or, or, or DuckDuckGo, whatever search platform you ask Jeeves, I think it's still around. I don't know. But uh, uh, like if that's what the nine and times out of 10, that's what I do. I don't trust almost any news I see on Facebook because one, the people sharing it are definitely biased. I know yeah. that the people who wrote it are probably biased. And I know that the Facebook algorithm is biased. It's mm-hmm. going to give me stuff that I'm going to interact with. So all I do nine times out of 10, when I see something on Facebook, is I just go and search for it myself to find out, oh, here's a better version of that. Or here's a more nuanced version of that. Or here's something else. You know what I mean? Because that, mm-hmm. that's what you realistically have to do. There, I think what we're talking about here is confirmation bias for a lot of people. Yeah, absolutely. In that we see things on Facebook and if we already believe it, we don't do any extra research. Mm -hmm. We just accept that that's fact and we move on with our day. However, when we see something we disagree with, suddenly Facebook, uh, excuse me, suddenly we have to like go and look further into it or talk crap about it and do all these types of things. So with Facebook censoring certain news outlets, all that tells me is I don't get my news from Facebook and neither should anyone else. Because if you're telling me that they're censoring factual-based information, then you're telling me they're unreliable. If they're unreliable, then I don't need them to change. I just don't trust them. Mm-hmm. I don't need my the guy in my, that I go to at, like, at a deli or something like that to stop telling me what stock to pick and he doesn't know what the hell he's talking about. I just don't listen to the dude. Mm-hmm. He's not going to be, you know, and well, to be fair, none of the people on TV should be telling you what stock to pick either. But he's not like Jim Cramer or somebody like that. He's just some dude with an opinion. And that's mm-hmm. all Facebook is too. They have teams that just go out there and they go, hey, how is this going to hurt us? Is this going to hurt our dollar, our bottom line? Then let's get it the hell out of here. They have, mm-hmm. I, I don't believe that Mark Zuckerberg has strong morals, to be honest with you, when it comes to business. He may in his, his home life and the way he acts and sure, everything, sure. But I believe at the end of the day, Mark uh, Zuckerberg, Jeff Bezos, uh, Jack Dorsey, Elon Musk, anybody you want to pick, take any CEO, I'll line them up. I will basically t- say the same thing for all of them. 
their moral as a businessman comes to making money without crossing a certain line. And for them, a lot of them, it's probably murder or something like that. Right. But it's not, it's certainly not whether or not they're letting you post all the news articles you want to post. They don't give a shit. They want to do it because it makes them money. See everything through the lot the lens of making money and you'll understand what's happening here. Why did uh, Amazon ban parlor from AWS? Because Google did. And they didn't want to be the one left holding the bag backing parlor. They didn't give a shit about Parler violating their things or whatever, unless they'd already told them and uh, had those conversations stuff. They did it to protect themselves. Google did it to protect themselves. Nobody has morals in this world when it comes to business. I just don't believe it. I don't buy into any of those companies putting out the Black Lives Matter uh, ads or, or putting out any of this stuff. You're making money. You're just trying to protect yourself and your public image. And that's how you do it now. You do it by being proactive and saying these things that I don't believe. I don't believe you. I don't buy it. You want more money. And this is how you're doing it. Mm -hmm. That makes sense. And you touched on something I wanted to ask. Uh, and I, I mean, you kind of already answered it. So maybe mm -hmm. you can just go a little bit more in depth about what you think about it. But sure. earlier you had said like, hey, if you don't like it, go to a different thing. And so this is one of the things that bothered me a little bit. And mm -hmm. I think the answer is it's the same answer. But people say, okay, well, let's leave Twitter. They go to Parler and then Amazon and Google kick them off their servers. And it's like, okay, now you basically you've got these two huge entities that are controlling it giant portion of the portion of the internet and you say oh you went to a different thing we don't like what you're doing over there now we're going to completely kick you off our servers mm -hmm. it's like I, I i get it that they have the ability to do that and it is their right but it really rubs me the wrong way it's it's like trying it's doing their best to eliminate dissenting ideas from the internet because you have to have like i can't just go down and start my own a giant server to, you know, entertain all the people that believe like me. It, it, mm -hmm. Does that make sense? Yeah, no, no, I, I got you. Yeah. So, go ahead. Sorry. Uh, with that, I, I, and I had a conversation on this uh, a little while ago too. What I said then has already come to pass. They were going to find another host and they have, they're back mm -hmm. online. This is going to be great for Parler's business. Cause here's the thing before January 6th, had you even heard said the word parlor it, without talking about some Renaissance piece or something like that? You know what I mean? Like you'd never said it. This has been great press for them. This has been amazing for them. Everybody who now wants what they offer now knows where to go. Mm -hmm. So now they found another host who doesn't give a shit about what they post. They, they have it so they can like post whatever they want again and they're back online and they're doing, going to be, be, excuse me, going to be doing better than ever. Cause here's what I have seen happening. And I've talked to a few different people who said this, people are leaving Facebook. People mm -hmm. don't like what Facebook has been doing, so they're starting to go away. Parlor's numbers are going to go up. You're going to see some kind of balance with that type of stuff, and they won't get kicked off of a platform mm -hmm. because they're not going to a platform that is uh, not for them. Amazon, and I've seen mixed reviews on this, or excuse me, mixed opinions on this, or, or mixed facts, I should say, but uh, Amazon has had problems with Parler in the past prior to them becoming what they became, right? They've gotten complaints from various people about mm -hmm. them and they've tried to write and tell them, hey, you have to kind of have some kind of moderation policy, which is Parler has started to do. They're not completely unmoderated. Almost no one on the internet can be truly unmoderated anymore. Um, but I think when you see somebody like AWS, you see somebody like Google, it's just the problem that I have with that concept. And I get what you're saying. They do have a lot of power. I'm not saying they don't. But at what point does the government get to, or government or anybody really that isn't just consumers get to tell you, hey, you've been too successful at what you've done. Now you no longer control what you built. We'll take it. We're going to cut your profit. We're going to cut your ability to control your own stuff and everything. 
and all the money you invested in it doesn't matter anymore. Thank you for your service. We're yeah. going to take over from here. Yeah. How is that not communism? Isn't that and what everybody's afraid of? <laughs> I have no response to that because I can't. It, what you're saying is exactly what I believe. But I, I just hate that there are people that don't want all the ideas out. It just, it bothers me so much, but there is no, at least from my standpoint, my morals and what I believe, there is no argument against what you're saying. Cause I agree with everything you're saying. Uh, it's just, it's hard for me to swallow it down that maybe just cause my personality, like I want to hear all the perspectives. I, I want people to be able to speak. I'd rather people be out in the light instead of in the shadows. Like I want to see where are the bad people instead of them isolating themselves into a bubble where they just become more extreme. Well, and that's what's been really interesting to me to watch all this happen is that, and I've made this comparison a million times, so anybody who's listened to me speak before, I apologize that I go back to it, but it just feels so relevant to me. We spent so many years prior to the internet or as the internet was coming up and everything too, being worried that the government was eventually gonna do 1984 where basically they restrict yeah. all information that we weren't going to be able to see anything. And what we've seen is the exact opposite. There's so much information. We don't have the time or the bandwidth to sift through it all. So what are we doing? We're creating these echo chambers. A lot of people are not leaving Facebook because they have problems with Facebook did. They have, they're leaving because of who Facebook did it to. If Facebook had done it to say president Obama, former president Obama, there's people on there who'd be like, yeah, Facebook, go ahead, get that you know, out of here. They would have been fine with that. So that's where you're exposing our own biases. We're not, that, and I don't think you're one of these people, by, by the way. I think that you're probably closer to me where you try to see things. doesn't really matter who it happens to. It's more of what you did, right? Mm -hmm. um, but what we're seeing is that we're creating our own echo, echo chambers and businesses will pop up to serve that. They already have started. And now you're going to start to see Parler is going to be one of the first. They may fail because they may just not be that good of a business. It's not mm -hmm. because people don't want what they offer. It's just because you might suck at it. Just yeah. because you have a great idea doesn't mean you're good at it. Hopefully, mm -hmm. if they're bad at it, somebody else will buy them up and they can run it like a real corporation. There's a reason they weren't successful before all this stuff went down, really. You know what I mean? So, mm -hmm. um, but yeah, I, I agree with you that it doesn't feel good to be realize how much power Amazon, Google, and all these companies have. But the way that we create a better balance, in my opinion, is the way that capitalism is supposed to the way that you're supposed to create a competitor. Why did Apple come up after Microsoft's dominance? Because people started buying their products, because people wanted what they had to offer, because they innovated, because they built something good. That's mm -hmm. how you create competition, is you come out with somebody like the, the if there's enough of a public, uh, excuse me, a consumer base for what Parler or other platforms offer, where they say, Facebook, you're moderating too much, you're controlling us too much, we don't want that. Then it will come up. People will find a way to make money for it. Why is there a black market for drugs and everything else? Because people want it. Mm -hmm. because people are willing to put their dollars behind it. And that's, I think, what you're going to start to see happening. I, I, again, this is very anecdotal when I say this part, and I've said it a second ago. I've seen people leaving Facebook. Well, those mm -hmm. people either are giving up social media completely, which means social media doesn't matter anymore, or they're going to find another one. Yeah, and that I guess this kind of goes to what you're saying. If it's good, people will go to it. I've tried to leave Facebook uh, to the extent that I not to a serious extent where I've deleted anything <laughs> yeah. because yeah. I've got that addiction issue going on and I'm trying to still do something, but I've looked around and I've tried other services and they're just not very good. They're not. And you know, like I've been trying to use rumble recently and like I've been on back and forth with their support team and there's like a four week delay on getting one of my videos monetized. Oh, and, wow. and so like, if I want to talk about the, the Derek Chauvin case, which I did a, about a week ago and I try to post stuff up 
on Rumble, it's not going to be available for like four weeks. And like, you can't get anything in the moment. And then there's other sources as well that I've been trying to use and it's just not as good. And I've, I've been on parlor for a while, but it's, it's, it's not streamlined with other stuff. So for example, you have like Instagram and Facebook and Twitter. It's like, you can have one account where you post it and it goes to all three. It's like, just makes life so much easier. So it's so hard to leave those things to say, okay, I'm going to join these five other things. And then when I want to post something, I need to go to every single one. It's like, Mm -hmm. it's draining. So it, it just makes it really hard. So there's a long way to go. And if they don't have the money to match what these other places are doing, it's hard for them to get there. But I, I do completely agree with what you're saying. Do you think, go ahead. Sorry, I just had one more example that I wanted to do that's complete opposite. Mm-hmm. It's, it's liberals on this time. Well, liberal leaning people for the most part anyways, uh, pulling the same nonsense, right? Chick-fil-A. Chick-fil-A, they found some old video, or I don't know how old the video was or whatever, the, uh, of the owner saying, hey, I support marriage being between a man and a woman. And then, so of course, a lot of uh, the LGBTQ community was very upset by that. The people who support them were upset by that and everything. And what did they do? Did they stop going to Chick-fil-A? No, they didn't stop going to Chick-fil-A. They went to Chick-fil-A, protested, the guy came out and said, sorry, and everybody went back to buying Chick-fil-A. Do we think he changed his mind? No, the dude is still doing everything he was doing two weeks before that or whatever else is happening. It's the same thing we're talking about here with not wanting to leave Facebook and all these other things. You, We just want our businesses to be what we want them to be. You mm-hmm. want to believe Chick-fil-A is so delicious that you refuse to stop eating those sandwiches. You want to believe that the guy no longer doesn't uh, believe in gay marriage. He absolutely still believes that. He's absolutely still giving his money to it. Like you're lying to yourself to make yourself feel better just so you can eat a damn chicken sandwich. Why do I think that you're going to feel, why do I care about your opinion? Not you, again, you, the royal you, just keep, yeah, keep clarifying that, uh, of, of Facebook. You've shown me no ability to stand on your grounds on a chicken sandwich, so you're certainly not going to do it on a social media platform where all your friends and family and everybody else are. If, if people really want to see change, it takes hard work. It takes mm-hmm. boycotts. One of the things that uh, I, I remember reading relatively recently, and I had never really conceptualized it this way, was the boycotts that uh, the Martin Luther King Jr. did in uh, Alabama for the buses. That went on for like a year. It wasn't a few weeks that he had all the, the black people in those towns not riding buses. It was like a year. It significantly inconvenienced their life. They had no way to get around. They were like walking miles to work and all this type of stuff. Mm-hmm. We won't do that for almost anything. We have, as a generation, we are super, super soft when it comes to inconveniences. And so what we try to do is berate businesses into changing either what they believe or just saying something publicly so we can feel better about not being inconvenienced. That, and that's, and what you're talking about is goes to that. Yeah. You're probably not going to find some uh, platform out there that's as perfectly built as Facebook was, because I don't know how early you were on Facebook, but Facebook was pretty rough back in the day too. It takes time to build something like that. It takes time. It takes money. It takes resources. And if you really feel strongly enough about these type of issues, that's what you have to go through. You have to stop eating that chicken sandwich. You have to stop being able to post in two seconds flat. It might take four weeks. And I'm not suggesting you do that. I would never freaking do that. I don't care enough to. <laughs> but I'm just saying these are these are the struggles you have to go through. And and compared to history, you know what I mean, where you might get your leg chopped off for standing up uh, and saying something out of turn to the king. I think we're doing okay. We just have to balance all that out. You know, Mm -hmm. it's going to suck. It's not supposed to be fun. That's exactly why they, they run their business that way. Well, I went through that phase in, so in high school when I was all over my, uh, my space, you know, I thought it was cool. I had my Metallica in the background of my page with lightning, (laughs) orange lightning coming down and, uh, my top eight friends and stuff. And I was like, Oh, it's cool. It shows who I am. And then Facebook was coming around and I was like, 
people started doing Facebook and I was just discouraging. It's like, oh, it's so stupid. Mm -hmm. It's so stupid. It doesn't even show your personality. It's so dumb. It's just a message board. Yep. And I, I was so negative against it. And then eventually a girl that I liked went on there and I'm like, oh, I want to see what she's doing. So then I finally made a Facebook and then I just slowly, MySpace just disappeared. So it's kind of like a natural process, I suppose. Um, do you think there's any difference between, so we kind of covered what is right or wrong in your opinion, but mm -hmm. do you think that there is a political leaning as far as what these social media companies are deciding to ban and what violates their their rules. I mean, I can give a couple of examples if you want, but I'm curious of what your opinion, if you do think it's actually just focused on money or if there is a political thing, or maybe the money is the, the driving factor. And so they claim to have a political leaning. What do you think? I think the money is the driving factor. And because of the money and where it leads them, they end up with a political leaning. So and this is a comparison I often make as well, is that people talk about the, the liberal media bias, right? And I 100% agree. I'm not denying that. I'm not fighting that. But then we look, oh, why is there a liberal media bias? Oh, because they want to control. No, again, we live in a capitalist society. Always follow the dollar. I, that's, always, that's my North Star. It's always about money. Mm -hmm. Who do they make the news for? They make the news for the major markets. Well, are the major markets generally liberal? Well, yes. So of course they're going to be a liberal meeting bias because they want those people to watch them. They want New York to watch. They want LA to watch. They want all these major cities to watch, which generally speaking are liberal. So that's why you have a liberal meeting bias. I believe the same thing about Facebook because here's the thing. Facebook, generally speaking, generally, because uh, uh, there are instances in them, them directing like bans and stuff like that, whatever, but a lot of times they only ban what's reported. They, they look at people and they say it has to be reported a certain number of times or whatever. That's how I know liberal people who've gotten uh, banned because somebody reported them. Mm -hmm. Right. So it comes from who's reporting it and who are reporting more people. Liberal people are reporting conservative leaning news sources, conservative leaning people and everything like that. And Facebook's getting more of those cases to review. Now, am I saying that Facebook is on the up and up on who they ban outside of that? No. But what I am saying is it's all about money. It's about the system they've created. It's about how they go through it and everything like that. And it comes back down to. In general, in a lot of fashion, excuse me, in a lot of places in America, it is more cost effective to cater to liberal opinions mm -hmm. that's just the reality it seems to be for for me and so if you make that uh excuse me if that is the clear path to money again i don't believe companies have enough morals to say they're not unless it's a strategy for them to do so why is fox news republican is it because uh what's i forget the guy's name who uh, roger something i think his name is the guy who created fox news uh anyways oh, yeah. is it is it because he's super republican possibly probably helped align with this thing but no he saw a market opportunity and he ran with it He's like, I need to make the news for these people because they're not getting their news out there. And he's right. That's why Fox News is the dominant conservative voice. Now, mm -hmm. others have popped up now, OAN, uh, Blaze and things like that, I think. But yeah. it's all the same thing that Facebook is doing as well. It is right now in America's history, it is more profitable, from my opinion, to be publicly liberal. Yeah. Do I think, again, I, do I think that Mark Zuckerberg really gives a shit? I don't. I don't. Th it, he's not out there running campaigns for people. He's not. If he cared, this is what he does. He has the money to do it. He's not doing it because he doesn't care. If it doesn't have Facebook and it doesn't bring him another billion behind his name, he doesn't give a shit about it. He's not out there trying to save the world. Mm -hmm. Ashton Kutcher is doing more to save the world than Mark Zuckerberg <laughs> is. And that's a 100% fact. Shout out to Ashton Kutcher for doing all that human trafficking work, man. That's still really crazy that that's who's doing it. But here we are. <laughs> that Well, what you just said just kind of 
not to take us back, but just yeah, yeah, sure. It just kind of reminded me of something like with the, with the Facebook fact check. So over, I don't, I'm not sure when it. I think it relatively recently. I can't remember exactly when they started doing this, but they they hired companies to start doing fact checks. And I've I've been reading through some of their fact checks, and like I, I guess if we just follow that line of of the money, then mm-hmm. you know they they could have that reason for why they're fact checking the way that they're doing. But have you ever seen that meme where it's like? The British are coming. Fact check. False. Not all the British are coming. If like if fact checking had ed- had existed no. in the past, it's like I had not seen that. That's hilarious, though. So like I, I saw that and I just kind of like stepped back and I was comparing it to some of the other fact checks that I was reading, and it's like you even read the fact check article and ninety percent of what they're saying is shows that the thing is true, but they're like because of this very small factor, they're saying oh this is partly false because of this little thing. Realistically, if you just look at the surface of the thing, it's like, yeah, that's a true statement, but they're finding a reason to say fact check false. And Facebook has hired these people as the arbiters of truth. And so it, it's a bit annoying, but I guess it can go back to your, your uh, idea of following the money. Well, in that one, I actually don't think that's so much money so much as it is. I guess it still ties back to money some way, but it's about speed. These people aren't trying to do deep dives. I have a million fact checks on my desk right now. I don't give a crap how right I get this. I just need to not get it completely wrong. And so if I put something like partially true, it's close enough. And I think mm-hmm. that's where they lead it to. It's just, there is too much going on now. Facebook is too big at this point to fact check every single post. And so again, they try to use user input from uh, reports and things like that, or whatever. And so when they are doing fact checks, a lot of times they're skimming, they are skimming at best of what that they're not diving down into it. And then looking at the references that that article is making and going through like, they don't have time. They simply can't do that. And so I'm not saying it's a perfect system. I'm not saying it's even a good system, to be honest with you. I think it's one of those things that is, uh, it just depends on where you land on it. Like, excuse me, on that specific article, it could take an article that's about a kid's book, let's say, and I don't mean the Dr. Seuss situation, but like a real, just a kid's book that's completely innocuous or whatever. And they go, false or whatever just because of some flag a word or whatever it did just came out wrong or whatever right but it's just about speed there's just too much mm-hmm. i don't care what system you have in place with the amount of content that's on facebook constantly being posted or on twitter or any of these platforms you're not going to have any system that's going to be able to get it right all the time you're going to have people who try to uh incentivize speed they're trying to turn them over and i think again what i have seen is that there is a bias for major news sources um for fact checkers, CNN, uh, MSNBC, you know, Fox News to a lesser extent, and all these, they look for the big names. If you're not one of the big names, suddenly they're probably going to have more of a chance to be partially true. And what we're, the interesting thing that I think is really going to come in our lifetime is the rise of all these smaller media sources. Mm-hmm. And that's very dangerous, but it's also very intriguing. And it's dangerous because who's fact checking them? We can't trust only the big corporations. We've proven that that doesn't work. Mm-hmm. So it's dangerous because now just because they're not coming from a major source, we are more inclined to trust it again because of confirmation bias. But it's really intriguing because now it's a lot harder to control stories. It's a lot harder to spin stories because there's so many different ways for people to get out there and get that information. Because one of the things I always tell about people, because he's one of the most famous examples of this type of stuff, is Alex Jones is sometimes right. Mm -hmm. And that terrifies people because you have to sift through everything he says, which the one thing I'll always stand on to to call Alex Jones a piece of shit is, uh, you know, berating the parents of the Sandy Hook massacre, mm-hmm. going to and telling those people that they were actors and their kids didn't really die and everything like that. Like if you're a grieving parent and some 
fat dipshit from the internet is coming and telling you that your kid didn't die and you're like having funerals and everything like that. Like, dude, I, I gotta be honest. I'd probably kill that dude. I probably would have lost yeah. my mind and gone and like done something very terrible and ruined my life too. Right. Mm-hmm. But anyways, uh, the, the point is that Alex Jones is sometimes right. And so will these small producers. They're going to be wrong. Sometimes they're going to be right sometimes, which is what all news sources are. So I think it's really interesting to see where we're going to go in the future with the smaller sources and how they control things. And Facebook is not equipped for it. Twitter is not equipped for it. They look, they trust big sources more than they do the little sources. And so they're going to start flagging a lot of these little sources as false and they're not going to be false. And it's going to leave them looking like idiots. And I'm really interested to see how that goes. Yeah, that's definitely true. I mean, I've heard a lot of crazy stuff from Alex Jones, but I've also heard a lot of things that he was completely right about that people said he was crazy for saying. Mm-hmm. So it, that's kind of one of like the fears that I have is when you have these entities throwing people out and forcing them into the corner. You never know like what they're saying that might be right. Like we should take everything with a grain of salt, but at the same time, like we, we need to consider you need to consider everything that people are saying. And I just, I hate the idea of censorship, but you know, I really don't have any good arguments to, to go against any, really anything that you've said because the other half of my brain is agreeing with everything you're saying. So (laughs) it's frustrating for me. I find that for me, and again, this is uh, just a way to quickly evaluate things, things that don't feel right, but sound true are usually pretty close to the truth because we want things that comfort us. We want, so we, we want like for not me, cause I'm not smart enough, but somebody to come on here and go, here's your perfect solution. You're like, yes, that, that covers all my bases, but that's not what the truth usually is. It's something you go, I hate it. It's not great, but yeah, that's probably the best we're going to do for right now. It's like that gross cough syrup we take when we're sick, right? Like, yeah, you can get the cherry flavor one, but the shit doesn't work. It doesn't do anything for you. You got to get that one that tastes like you're peeling paint off your car and then you'll be <laughs> feel better. You know what I mean? It's gross, but it's the way you get things done. And I think that for me, that's what it is. Cause I don't like it either. I don't like mm-hmm. the power that Amazon, Google, Facebook, and all these companies potentially have, but I see no alternative that doesn't give away the, the rights that we're talking about. It doesn't give away the rights of private businesses or the rights uh, of free speech or all these different types of things. And like you said, I am not for government regulation in a lot of sentence, excuse me, in a lot of places where I don't believe it's necessary. And I definitely don't believe it's necessary social media. Because again, if if our country collapses because of social media, so freaking be it. We don't deserve to exist. If social if Facebook posts are taking us down, we're out. Like we can't survive then. What are we talking about? <laughs> like we've been through wars, we've been through civil rights movements, we've been through a civil war, but Facebook is what takes us out. No, we don't deserve it. Cool. Our run, that's that's our end. Then that's so be it. They're like, I can't, I can't defend a country that can't protect itself from some school soccer mom saying some dumb shit on the internet. Like, I got nothing for you. In a thousand years, someone finds a uh, a book and they discover, oh, the end of this seemingly great society was a thing called Facebook or the Facebook. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. If, if that's what does it, so be it, man. We had a good run. Uh, let's go. Uh, I heard Fiji's nice. Let's do that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, for sure. Uh, and I, I mean, I assume that you've got the same opinion on, you know, Amazon recently kind of blocking some books and, uh, you know, also the Dr. Seuss thing you brief, briefly mentioned, it's uh, the publisher decides not to publish it based on whether their reasons are justified or not. It's, I guess, suppose their, their view on what they want to block. And then Amazon blocking one of the number one sellers when Harry became Sally, it's a kind of a, thing that talks about transgender uh people i'll say on that one i don't necessarily agree what do you Uh, i would say i don't necessarily agree on uh, 
because Amazon's blocking it on their platform, but I don't know. That one, again, that one rubs me a little bit of the wrong way. Just sell the damn book. What are you doing? Like, I don't, I don't, but, but again, you're right. I need to be consistent on that one and, and say that Amazon has the right to do it. And they do. It just feels a little strange that you're getting to that level of, because Amazon is a pl- platform to sell things. They are not a, a social media platform or things like that, right? So mm-hmm. them restricting who is being sold on their platform for something that doesn't violate their terms and conditions, which to the best of my knowledge, just doesn't violate their terms or conditions. Uh, I do think that that's a little bit of a slipperier slope, but you're right. If I looked into it, I probably would arrive back at my original decision of like, no, they have the right to do what they do with their platform. But yeah. I just, I hadn't heard about that one yet until you just mentioned it. And on the surface, it sounds wrong to me, but you're probably right. I mean, yeah, it, it does sound, it definitely sounds wrong to me. Uh, but I mean, based on all the arguing arguments you made, I can't make any justification or why it's wrong because like you make a very good argument for the, their their right to do what they want to do with their platform and even though i think it's completely wrong that they're going to take this book that gives statistical evidence and facts about a situation that i think is a serious situation that deserves to be discussed and they're going to throw it out and say no you're not even allowed to see that it's like well someone can make a new platform to sell a book it's like okay technically yes that's true but it just sucks that that that's the situation that we're in. Yeah, like I said, I I, I don't know the particulars of that, so I, I shouldn't run my mouth about it. But on the surface, I, I'm not a fan. <laughs> Let's uh-huh. just say that. <laughs> okay, yeah, that makes sense. You also get to be the first podcast I'm on, including my own, with my little oh, really? money tree guy back there in the background. Uh, I recently did like a reorganization of everything. And my girlfriend, she's been obsessed with plants since this whole uh, pandemic thing happened. And mm-hmm. so she is, uh, <clears throat> excuse me, she she went and we went maybe go the other day and bought a bunch of plants or whatever. So I'm like, I'm so this little money tree. She's like, oh, yeah, I'll take that for my desk. It'll be awesome. I'll get this <laughs> little guy now. And it actually makes me happier than I, I'll admit to her. But <laughs> Okay, so... I've got a story about plants. I, I, <laughs> I'll do the introduction in a minute. I started recording, but uh, yeah, yeah. The, uh, I thought it'd be a great idea to get a plant. So I'm over in China. So they've got a lot of those little, uh, what are those, those little plant trees? Like it's a tiny little plant, but it, yeah, it's like that, but it's a little bit different. It, it's not quite the bonds. I think it's cheaper than that because I'm cheap. So yeah. anyway, I buy this thing and then, uh, I bring it home for my girlfriend because she wanted a puppy. And I'm like, here's a tree. If you keep this thing alive, then we'll go for the puppy. Within a month, it's completely dead. And like, as it's dying, I'm trying to revive it. I'm watering it. I'm reading all about these different trees online, trying to figure out what's the problem. Is it too cold? Is it too warm? Am I not watering it enough? Am I watering it too much? And I tried everything. And it's just now it's, it's basically a hard stick over there. You touch it, it's going to snap in half. And so then about a month ago, maybe two months ago, then I buy her a different little flower for like a, a Chinese celebration thing. And I say, okay, this one's easier to take care of. You keep it alive. It's over there. It's dead. It's a stick. She can't keep anything alive. And surprise, surprise, she still got her puppy. So I'm just waiting for it to come home from work <laughs> and the puppy's just dead over in the corner. So it's a challenge know. for sure. Yeah. Um, so I best of best of luck to your your little tree over there yeah it says you only water it once a week and I feel like that just can't be right so I I'm (laughs) at some point I'm gonna look it up and see because I don't know the thing is like 
eight dollars or something like that. So it's not like I, I I'm heavily invested monetarily, but I do you know I want the little guy to live. It's a money tree. I feel like if it dies, I go broke or something. You know. <laughs> I mean, I don't know. 10, 20, 30 years down the road with inflation, who knows how much money you wasted. On that <laughs> exactly. <laughs> All right. So the other thing that I want to get into, which I think we might disagree a little bit more on, I'm not entirely sure. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, I, I kind of want to get into the policing over the last year, obviously with the George Floyd stuff kind of exploding. Uh, just to, to start off getting into this, in your opinion, mm-hmm. how does... So let me, let me give my opinion. I'll tell you kind of what, from my perspective, what I see, I, and I'm going to generalize. So you're welcome to correct me here, but it, it seems from my opinion that in the black community, the police are kind of looked at in a negative, negative sense. And I, there's a lot of leeway with this. And I, I get that being broad and generalizing in this sort of thing, in this sort of topic is not a very good way to cover it, but in your perspective, how do you think the majority of the black community kind of perceives the police and versus what is the reality? Is there a difference? And then kind of how, how is your perception of the police? Um, I, I think the police, particularly in the black community, and just to identify, I think I said something earlier, but I just want to make sure that when it's clear for this conversation, whatever, uh, I'm multiracial, I'm black and I'm white, uh, but which in means in America that I'm generally identified as black and I identify self-identify as black and mixed. You know what I mean? I can never really fully identify as white, but although it is part of my heritage. Uh, but anyways, just say that just in case people were wondering, because I get those questions a lot anyways. <laughs> but but uh, yeah. I think that the, the identity of police is very tough in the black community because of the history of policing in the black community. But also one of the things that I've always found interesting is that, so my white side of my family is very, uh, let's say country, you know, redneck, yeah. hillbilly kind of, they don't like the cops. Why is that part of the identity? You know what I'm saying? Like it just, there is not this whole thing with the black community that a lot of other communities don't share. The problem is that it's now be used, been used politically by both liberals and uh, conservatives to make it a more of a political issue and make people draw lines more clearly. But a lot of people don't like police. The majority of people don't have favorable opinions of police, or at least haven't. But whenever a lot of these things started coming up and they made it as if the police were being attacked, then people started to change their perception of the police. Because here's what I can tell you from the people that I've talked to, both in the black community and outside of it, who's happy about getting pulled over? Who's happy about getting tickets? The only time we're happy about police is if we actually have some kind of dangerous situation where we need them to come to our house. When I got robbed and I uh, called you know, the police to come to my house to, to follow a police report, everything like that. Absolutely. But 90% of the time when people are interacting with police, they don't like them. And so what you're talking about in the black community a lot of times is one, they over-police neighborhoods that have high black populations in them. Now, this is partially due to crime levels. It's also due to where they're told to go and all these types of things. So you're not setting a good foundation for black people to have good relations with police. Also, we have to keep in mind that a lot of the people who are black in these communities either live through a time when police were extremely racist or they were raised by people who did. And so you're passing down those messages to your children of what you experienced. You're not even lying to them. You're not telling them things that you haven't experienced firsthand, but you're telling them that type of stuff. And I think that there is a, a problem in the way that policing is conducted in the United States in general. But for, as far as for the black community goes, I think there was just a lot of negative experiences to look back on with how police have treated black people. And then you do some research into it and it generally is borne out as well. 
and the thing that I think I have a problem with is a lot of times people use the definition of crime uh, and who commits it to, to try to paint the picture that, well, this happens because these communities are more crime and this happens because black people commit more crime or all these types of things. And like, well, who is finding crime? Who arrests people? The same people that are being accused of being racist or excuse me, or prejudicial, I should say at least. Uh, and who convicts these people? Well, the same yeah. court system that we're talking about is prejudicial. So mm -hmm. of course you're gonna have statistics to say that people like this commit more crime because you're the ones controlling the system. And I don't mean you again, as the white people or anything like that, because it's black cops, it's black judges, there's uh, Hispanic cops and judges, there's all kinds of varied races, right? I'm talking about the systems that we're talking about here and everything like that. So what I can say is this, it's complicated at very best with the black community and policing. But what I will say is that it's not as bad as a lot of people paint it to be, but it is really fun to listen to a song by NWA and say F the police. <laughs> like it's, it's fun to do. You're like, like the, the meme that I've seen going around that still cracks me up almost every time I see it. It's like nobody wrote, wrote a song called F the fire department. <laughs> there is probably a reason for that, right? Yeah. yeah. Um, so you, you, one of the things you, I mean, you mentioned several things. I'm just going to try to go down them and keep notes as we go so that we can steer back to these things because mm -hmm. you're giving a lot of good information. I want to kind of dig into those as much as we can. You mentioned that there's over-policing in neighborhoods, which I would agree with to an extent, but it seems like from my perspective that no matter what the action is, it gets deemed as racist as far as the police goes. And, and what I mean by that is that when there's over-policing, it's, it's attributed to racial issues, which you kind of mentioned that, well, there's a little bit higher crime. So part of the reason is that maybe, maybe the crime is one of the issues. But then if the police force was to... I've also heard the argument that when the police force, they leave a neighborhood because it's too dangerous, that that is racism because there's no police presence and they're letting that certain community kind of eat itself. And so if they're too strong, it's racist. If they pull back, it's racist. And it's really hard to find that fine line, if that makes sense. And you, I think have that's, you heard that argument before? Uh, yes, I have heard that argument before. And I think that's, it's one of those situations where we talked about like uh, with the truth thing that it's, you're not going to necessarily find a perfect balance. And it's also in what laws are the police enforcing? Because if you're, if you're coming to a neighborhood and you're enforcing a lot of possession laws and not even possession with intent to distribute, just possession, uh, open alcohol containers, the, mm -hmm. you're not making that community safer. You're not making that community better. Yeah. You're not going, you know what I'm saying? And then that's, I think part of what we're talking about here. I don't think that you're going to find a lot of black people in, let's just throw out, you know, the favorite talking point of most people, Chicago, who are going to be mad if you come and you arrest people who are, are shooting people who are coming and they're they robbing people. The mm -hmm. problem is when you over police in these neighborhoods, cops have a, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? I'm sorry. Uh, essentially cops can't ignore crime. It's mm -hmm. not really something they're allowed to do or something that a lot of them are willing to do. Mm -hmm. So I go back to this example frequently for these type of conversations. A lot of research has shown that drug use is pretty even amongst white people and black people, but the arrests are not. And part of that is because again, if I, if I reach into a jar that is 50% red, uh, excuse me, if we reach into jars and that one's all red and one's all green uh, of M&Ms or, or Skittles, I don't think M&Ms have green, <laughs> but uh, uh -huh. the more times I reach into that jar, the more time I'm gonna pull out that color. And then if I weigh them against each other, then I can say, oh, well, this jar is 60%, excuse me, I've got 60% green M&Ms and 40% brown then of course it's going to look like this is a worse scenario for the green. But that's mm -hmm. what we see with a lot of times of these over-policing and these types of things and why we're talking about 
uh, over policing a community because the more times you go in there and you're enforcing drug possession, the more times you go in there and you're enforcing open containers or any kind of law that isn't danger based, that's where we start to see the problems with these communities. And that's what I think we really need to look at is what are you doing in these communities? Mm-hmm. If you're going in there and you're making them safer because you're arresting, uh, um, say the people who are committing violent crimes, you're arresting people who are shooting people, you're arresting uh, the different people who are robbing people, then you're making that community better. And I don't think most of the people are going to have a problem with that, but Mm -hmm. that's not what happens in a lot of these situations. They're taking people in for uh, marijuana, you know, a lot of times Mm -hmm. or for other illicit drugs, but they're not going into primarily non-minority communities and arresting all the Percocet uh soccer moms who are driving around with their painkillers or arresting people who are like what do we have right now going on in america the uh the pandemic the other pandemic the drug pandemic right it's Mm -hmm. not weed it's not crack it's not cocaine it's none of these things it's all these prescription drugs Mm -hmm. but it's being policed completely differently than crack was Mm -hmm. you're not seeing them going into the communities which do tend to be a lot of times primarily white and destroying them by arresting all these people by putting them all in jail, yeah. by con- starting the process of a recidivism where they're going in and out of jail consistently. And so that's why you start to get these outcomes where people see it as racist. Because one of the things I've noticed is this is both becoming an academic definition, which I'm a little don't necessarily agree with. And it's big, it's one of the ways that people see things. You can do something that you are not planning to be racist, but if it overly affects one community, then the outcome is kind of racist, whether you meant it to be or not. Mm-hmm. Right. And so that's kind of what I think what we're seeing here, because you're talking about like trying to control these communities, crime and everything like that. But all crime isn't equal. Nobody wants I, I don't know any community who wants you to come in there and just keep arresting people who are doing drugs, but not the type of drugs that are causing them to rob, not the kind of drugs that are causing them to pass out on the, the porch, uh, excuse me, out in the streets and everything like that, and ruining a community. Mm-hmm. Because if you go into any community uh, in any city in America that I'm aware of, you've got drugs. It's just yeah. what do those drugs do to that neighborhood? Mm-hmm. So that's yeah, all. True. So I, I, I agree with half of what you're saying. And then the other part of me wants to look at. <laughs> I wanted to make a really terrible joke when you said that. <laughs> <laughs> I'll tell you off air. I'll tell you off air. I'm not getting pinned down by that one. No, go for it. <laughs> no. We'll have to cut this later. But I was like, yeah, you agree with my white half. <laughs> oh. Okay, so let me get into this. Your yeah. white half is totally right, but the other yeah, half right. Is yeah. <laughs> so, Sorry, go uh, ahead. So I, 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 I only because I don't. So I'm a very statistic oriented person, and whenever mm-hmm. I start bringing up statistics and figures, I feel like I turn people off because they don't want to hear the numbers. It's they want to talk about more about the anecdotal things, like, well, I know this person that did this, and the news is talking about this. And so, yeah, if, go numbers. If, so I'm more of an anecdotal person. And when you talk about uh, policing and, you know, there's drug abuse in, in all kinds of different neighborhoods, which you're completely correct about, but you're getting more uh, convictions in the black community, which are also correct about. Mm-hmm. I, I think there's a lot of reasons for that. But the thing that I kind of go back to is I I want to connect it to violent crimes. And the reason that I want to connect it to violent crimes is because uh, violent crimes have, a, have victims. Mm-hmm. And so it's not necessarily a matter of them driving down the street and they stop someone because they, they're looking suspicious. The police have been called. And that for me, that, that closes the door to suspicion. 
if there's a victim, then there's a perpetrator. If, if that make, does that make sense? Mm-hmm. So in, in, in a community, when, when you've got people that are, that is more prone to violent actions, you end up having more police in that area. And then you end up having more convictions of drug abuse in that area as well. Even though maybe the neighborhood right down the road is a white community that has just as much or more drug abuse, but you don't have the same violence going on it would skew the numbers. And so one person would be led to believe, well, that's simply because of racism. And the other person would skew to say, well, no, the police are going where the violent crime happens to be. Mm-hmm. And then, so if you were to like break down statistics um, in the black community, you have 12% population committing like 30% of the crime. Mm-hmm. And so it's disproportionately a higher crime rate for uh, violent crimes than other groups. Does, does that make sense? Mm-hmm. So I, I'm, I'm torn. Like I understand the problems and within the communities. And I understand that I, there absolutely has been a, a very racist history, but as far as this current statistics, I don't necessarily see the I don't necessarily see how race plays into what's going on with police <clears throat> currently going into these communities. Well, I'm sorry, so I, I stumbled things... over everything I'm saying here. I'm, I'm trying to. I'm you try- got there. You got there. You built it. It's difficult for me because I I have been called racist. I've been insulted a lot for even stating statistics, and I'm absolutely not. Like, there's no part of me that has, <laughs> like, any. No, there's no part of me that feels that way. Is any racist. Thing, although there's a lot of people that will argue, well, even making these arguments that put statistics and claim that in the black community, there's more violence than in a white community, that in itself is racism. And I don't mean for it to be that, but I'm just trying to follow the statistics. Yeah. Well, and that's the thing. Here's, here's what I say. I'm a numbers guy as well. But what I think we have to be careful of is looking at numbers and acting like the numbers tell the complete story. And they don't. And that's why I went back to the point that I started with. And I'm sorry, my cord is deciding to fall all over the place. It got caught on my chair arm. <laughs> Anyways, mm-hmm. I'll start over. No problem. So, so I'm a numbers guy as well. I like statistics, but you have to be careful in letting statistics tell you the whole story. They only tell you something you can look at. And what you're looking at here is that the outcome is different. There's a difference in the data that we have saying that this percentage of the black community is violent compared to this percentage of the white community. Mm -hmm. The problem with that is what I went to before. Who is arrested and who is convicted is how you get to statistics. And what you can see, excuse me, pretty clearly is that black people have a higher conviction rate, whether or not they're tried the same as uh, their white peers are, as well as they're arrested at a higher rate. So your outcome statistics are going to tell you that story because of those factors, regardless of what the truth is. And again, let me say this. I'm not saying that's not true. I simply don't know. I, no one really would know because you'd have to know every violent person in the world, right? Yeah. But what I am saying is that that's how you get these statistics that paint somewhat of a problematic story because you're looking at it from the, outs, uh, the outside going, well, the conviction rates are this in this community and the arrest rates are this in this community. So therefore, this community commits these things at these rates. And mm-hmm. that's not exactly how that works because again, the police arrest whoever they want to arrest. Police can let people go. They do. They're not supposed to, as I kind of mentioned earlier, they can't, they're not really supposed to ignore crime, but they do. And, or they do uh, arrest somebody and that person doesn't get convicted. 
You know what I mean? If we want to talk about the most famous instance of that, O.J. Simpson. Do you believe O.J. Simpson was innocent because he didn't get convicted? But your statistics would say he was. And that's the huh. problem. That's kind of the thing that we paint here, right? We're all aware yeah. of it. We're all aware of these people who never, technically, Jeffrey Epstein was innocent, <laughs> which is a scary, crazy thing to say. But uh, to the best of my knowledge, I don't think he was convicted, right? He was on trial. He was going to stand trial and got, uh, killed himself before he could, right? That's the whole thing. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So statistically speaking, both O.J. and Jeffrey Epstein are innocent men. Mm-hmm. Bill Cosby's finally guilty. You know, Harvey Weinstein, I think, is still innocent. You know, so they, these are the type of things I'm just painting a picture that the statistics are something we definitely need to pay attention to, but we also have to be careful of what we tell us they say. It's going to be what, what how, how, I don't know what sentence I just put together there, but we have to be careful of what message we let them tell us because yeah. I agree with you. There's something to look to there. And again, the finding ultimately may be that more violent crime is committed in the Black community. Mm-hmm. But I think one of the things you have to look at again is correlation is not causation. Mm-hmm. And that you may find that a determined, and again, I'm not painting this picture. I don't want to say this because I'll get killed later for saying this. And I'm just being clear. I just saying that it could be this. I'm not saying it is this. All right. Mm-hmm. That's not going to help me. I'll still get killed later. But <laughs> the, the actual core, uh, excuse me, causation could be something like socioeconomic status. That might mm-hmm. be a bigger determination of violent crime than, uh, than would race or education, or age, or any of these number of things, you know, that can affect these statistics. So I, I think we have a tendency to point to certain things as race, both as is racist, and as it's not racist, it's factual based. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so we just have to keep looking at these things. But I think one of the things that for me really stands out when we're looking at these type of numbers and everything is that we have a documented history of prejudicial policing in these communities. Mm-hmm. So at best case scenario, we are still seeing the remnants of that. And I don't mean even from the police. I mean, from the people that were policed. If you know for the, the entire time, your, your father, your father's father, your father's father's father, you experience all these racist police in this area. And when 1964 happened, uh, the civil rights movement, or excuse me, the civil rights act, those police didn't retire. They kept working. Mm-hmm. So it probably continued on longer than that. And then they train new police officers. And then like, so all that trickles down to both those communities and the police who are affected, excuse me, the police after them and everything like that too. It's just getting harder and harder to actually see the results of it. I think we're trying to quantify what it ultimately is a lot of qualitative data. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I, I agree with, I mean, I agree with most of what you're saying. Again? I, I, don't think, <laughs> I agree with your white part. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, no, I do agree with most of what you're saying. Um, I think a part of what you're saying a little bit puts puts a little bit too much emphasis on anecdotal. And the only reason that I say that is, you know, you've given some good examples as far as people that were guilty that are labeled innocent in the community. But I think that the good thing about statistics is it takes the lump sum of everyone. And mm-hmm. of course, within that group, there's going to be people that are wrongly convicted, uh, victims that are lying, uh, all, all kinds of exceptions to the rule. But when you look at the summation of, of, of everything, I think that's why I lean to the statistics so much. And so using any sort of individual examples that disprove that statistical anom- like that statistical situation, to me feels like it's kind of veering the conversation away from, okay, here's the large majority of the situation, what's happening, let's talk about that and why it's happening. And, and so, uh, do, do you mind if I just go into a few numbers and then you can kind of tell me what your, ha, kind of how you th- feel about them or what, what you think about them? 
Well, let me just say one thing really quick because I just want to make sure that my point is being heard because I'm not yeah. doing anecdotal. What I am saying is that when you your your statistical analysis is saying that it per uh, percentage wise, there is more violent crime in the black community than there is in the white community, right? That's all you know. What you don't know is why. So you can mm -hmm. look at the data and say that that is exists. The data says that because this is what happens. Mm -hmm. Or you can look at the data and says this is what's found. So that's all I'm saying. I'm saying that we, I'm not saying the numbers are wrong. I'm not saying the numbers don't exist. What I am saying is that when we look at statistics, we have to be careful what conclusion we reach. All mm -hmm. we know is what the statistics tell us, which is that percentage wise, there's more violent crime in the black community than there is in a white community. Mm -hmm. What I'm saying where we have to make sure that both you and I are checking our own biases and making sure that we're not taking this data and just saying that because the statistics say this, this is all that matters is why the statistics say that. Mm -hmm. Do the statistics say that because it's what exists in those communities? Do they say that because there is a, a bias in how we find that data? Or do the statistics say that because of some remnants of something else? That's all I'm mm -hmm. saying. We just have to be careful of looking at this data and then from that extrapolating why it happens because black people are more violent. That's because that's the conclusion that ultimately you're, you're reaching right now. Mm -hmm. That's not what the data says. Mm -hmm. It says that more violent crime is found in those communities. Mm -hmm. And so that's where more research is needed into why. Mm -hmm. It's again, it could be simple. The simple answer could just be that black people in these communities are more violent. It could be that answer. I'm just saying we haven't got the data to support that exact conclusion. We have data to make us look further into it. Mm -hmm. That's all I'm saying. That's what like I said. I'm not trying to go anecdotal. I'm just saying that when statistics say something, it's telling us to look further at that. It doesn't necessarily tell us that that's what's doing it. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Because so like, I did. Sorry, go ahead. No, no, no. Sorry. I cut you off. Finish. No, you're good. It's just. My, my girlfriend's an epidemiologist, so I've gotten a lot better at some of my own biases on these uh, statistical data and stuff like that. And she's, she corrects me all the time on that because that's her whole world is looking at statistics and data like 20 hours a day or whatever, right? And she's like, look, you know what the data says. Now you have to find out why it says that. And that's the part that I don't feel like we ever get to. You know, okay. we, all, we always stop at the part of what the data says and we go, all right, so this is what it tells us. I'm like, well, no, you can't say that. All you know is the, excuse me, the statistics because to your point, that could support either that black people commit more crime in those communities or that again, going back to it, the other one, another possible solution, excuse me, uh, correlation for that is they're more arrested in those communities. The data supports both of those conclusions, but it also supports neither of them because we don't have enough of the rest of the data. Mm -hmm. So, um, So I just want to say all that just to say that I'm not saying that the people I pointed out who are innocent disproves what you're saying. I'm just saying that we have to be careful of looking at the statistic and tell us that it definitely tells us this is why it's happening. Yeah, I get that. Uh, and, and it makes sense. And I totally understand with the, the causation. And if I, I hope I don't forget, I would like to go back to causation and connect it to government in a minute because I do have something to sure, say sure, about sure. that. But I yeah, want to yeah. continue down this road a little bit. Yep, yep. Um, but this is kind of like one of the reasons why I want to focus on the violent crime because we have causation. So we have, we have the numbers and it's like, well, you don't know necessarily why that. And, and I was struggling with my, this myself because I kept running into the situation where I'm talking to people and I'm saying, but the statistics say this. And then people would tell me, well, if you have a racist system, of course the statistics are going to be outweighed by in, in the negative sense towards the black community. Mm -hmm. And so I'm thinking like, okay, well, how do I address this issue? Because I like to follow statistics and what I'm being told is a subjective opinion. I would need to see some sort of statistical evidence that shows systemic racism built into the police force or some sort of law 
something just because that's how my mind works. Like I, I'm fully, if I see a racist action, I'm 100% on board. Let's cut it down. If there's a racist law, let's cut it down. If there's a racist individual, let's get them out. Mm-hmm. But I want to see some sort of data that shows me systemic racism. And if you're looking at the whole numbers, you would need to show some sort of systemic racism. And so that's why I focus on victimizations. And the reason for this is because we have to look at the end, the whole number. And so you might have a community where violence is happening or where, where crime is happening, but you have victims that are calling in and reporting. And you can say, okay, well, some of these victims are dishonest, but which, which is true. So if you look at the statistics of uh, pat- patrolling crime versus reported crime, there's a 6% difference. So that means as far as in the black community. So there's a 6% difference from what's being recorded. So let's say if you say that uh, 12% of the violent crime in the black, or sorry, 12% of the population is black, and then they're committing 30% of the crime, then you get down to 24% of that has a victim that is called and says, hey, this individual has committed a crime against me. And so to discount that is then saying that victim, that 24% of victims are lying. And then what I tried to connect that to is like, okay, well, who are the people committing these crimes against the black community? So I wanted to look into those numbers. And mm-hmm. so when I look into those numbers, uh, and it's, it's pretty much across the board um, as far as race, black on bra- black is 70%, white on white is 60%. So, so most of the crime committed in a community is by their own community, except for the Asian community, but Hispanics 45% and the rest are divided. Mm-hmm. So when I, when I start putting all this data together, I start getting a more clear picture of kind of a justification. And I, you know, maybe after you respond, I'll go into why I think this has happened. But it does seem to me like there is a higher level of crime from the black community, which is supported by the victimization rate. And the reasons for that are very highly debated, but it doesn't seem accurate to lay the kind of umbrella statement that it's simply due to systemic racism within the police force. In the police force, no. But in the system at large, that I would say you would have a better case for that. And again, one of the things I, I, I want to be clear about, and I think we keep going back to this point because it's an important point to make, you can only get data for things that are convictions, I imagine. I don't, I don't know if you're looking at arrests or uh, convictions, but if, you're, if I'm telling you the system who creates these numbers is in itself has a prejudice to it, mm-hmm. then those numbers by themselves aren't going to be as impactful because they're, they're biased in the creation of them. And that's one of the things that I think you're right. It's completely hard to quantify. How do you quantify systemic racism? That's a very difficult thing to do. Uh, but I don't think that, I don't think you can tell it the complete story with or without numbers. I think you need both all these different things in conjunction with one another, because what you can't, what we can't do is pretend that human beings aren't opinionated, right? That we don't have, we don't do things that don't make sense data wise. Um, and racism has never made sense data wise. It's terrible for the economy and a lot of other systems and everything like that at, mm-hmm. at a lot of levels. But the reason I say all that is to say that we have to be careful of letting the end of that system 
tell us how we got to there, uh, excuse me, where the beginning came from. And that's the type of stuff I'm talking about. Cause the numbers, the numbers you said, I I'm, I'd be interested in how you broke those down because from what I, I I've looked at black on black crime and white on white crime and things like that uh, mm -hmm. for, for many years, because that argument always comes up about black on black crime and everything like that. Right. It's one of the yeah. favorite talking points of many people. And it's the biggest correlation between crime is who you live near and more black people live more near more black people. Mm -hmm. than white people do than other races do in, in largely and that's the biggest correlating factor is who you live near mm -hmm. not not specifically what the race of the person is it's mm -hmm. who you live near and black people tend to live closer to more black people um so i uh, just i wonder how you broke those numbers down and we can talk about that later because that's just a math side of it it doesn't actually matter for the conversation at hand i mean just uh, for, for the point of what you said i just basically um cross-checking fbi and the bureau of uh uh justice statistics basically mm -hmm. and then right I'm sorry. What, what I was saying is that uh, black on black crime from the numbers I've seen from the same, the, the ones you're looking at FBI and DOJ and everything like that uh, are, are like, I think black on black crime was like 88%. And then white on white was like 70 something percent. So that's why I like the numbers you, I think you broke them down by another. Uh, yeah, These were from 2018 variable. also. Uh, and these were just the ones that, you, you know, I had some stuff written down and I just quickly kind of cross checked the stuff today. And so I just went off the 2018 so yeah, yeah, and again, I, I'm, numbers, but. I am not accusing your numbers of being wrong. I'm just wondering where the differences between we look. Because like I said, for, for both black and white people, it was higher. That's So realistically, it doesn't matter. The the the, the, the difference between the two are about the yeah. same. I think it was 7% when I saw it. Yours is 10. That's in the realm, realm I'm cool with of being different. You know I, what I mean? I think I agree with you because I do remember last time when I looked this up, I, I had some uh, some stuff on, on a uh, layout on my computer and mm -hmm. I couldn't find it, which is, you know, I write stuff down on my computer so I can find it later and then I can't find it. So <laughs> yeah, I have to yeah. go redo it. But yeah, all the numbers that I found is black on black, white on white. All the statistics that I had written down before were higher, but uh, yeah, yeah. I don't remember what the exact numbers were. So I just went straight off the page uh, that, I, that I was yeah. reading today, but I don't know why these ones are a little bit lower. Maybe I got them from the other ones from the FBI page and this one was from the DOJ. I'm not sure. Yeah. And like I said, ultimately it doesn't matter. It's just when, uh, when I had those numbers in my head before and your numbers are different. I'm like, again, the percentage breakdown, which is the important part of the conversation anyways, mm -hmm. it is uh, relatively the same. So it doesn't really matter. It's just something that popped out of my head. But anyways, getting, I have really bad habit with tangential topics, but <laughs> uh, uh, so just staying back on track again, I, I think this is one of the problems that we see with this, this conversation at large is because it's a combination of qualitative and quantitative data what we can see is if we extrapolate from other data that you could find is the conviction rate of black mm -hmm. defendants, you know what I mean? Compared to like other races and yeah. you could break it down by white, Hispanic, uh, Asian, all the different uh, demographics that they have there. Um, and you could see how much more likely a black person is to be convicted. And mm -hmm. then you could see how much more likely a black person is to be pulled over, arrested, like all those variables. And then you would have to do some more complicated math and then play that into the final numbers was what you, what you have there. And you could still get some better statistical analysis of it, but I don't think it's ever going to tell the, the complete story. And that's why I say it's important that we, we pull this data out, but then we try to extrapolate what that data is telling us. Yeah. The data is telling us something that we look at and we can say that right now, the one thing we could say without any debate, because it's factual, there's a higher conviction, excuse me, there's more convictions for violent crime in the black community than there are in other communities. That's the one thing that the data indisputably tells us. Is there a higher convictions in the black community? Now, it does not mean that that is actually how it's committed. Because like I go back to before, the drug one, drug convictions are a great way to say this. Drug convictions in the black community are far higher than in any other community. Mm -hmm. However, other research shows that drug use is basically the same. Mm -hmm. 
and that's the type of stuff I think that we're talking about here. And I don't know how you would do if you could do the same thing for violent crime or victimized crime and things like that. But I just think it's very dangerous to reach the conclusion that that just exists. And that's why more cops are there. I, yeah. I think, again, because how many cops patrol white neighborhoods? Or if, let me say, not even say white neighborhoods. Let me say something that's a different definer, but it still ultimately leads to white neighborhoods. More affluent neighborhoods. Mm-hmm. You don't patrol affluent neighborhoods very often. Mm-hmm. So therefore, you're not having very many patrol catching uh, crimes and things like that or whatever, which wouldn't be effective in those neighborhoods anyways, to be clear. I don't think, I'm not suggesting we do that. It's a stupid way to catch crime in those neighborhoods. But mm-hmm. um, so those are the type of things that we would look at. Is this going to tell us when you look at certain neighborhoods that are being policed, they're going to have more convictions. They're going to have more of the, that's why you put police there in the first place. Mm-hmm. So like I said, I, I think that, I think these numbers are interesting and I definitely think there is more to it than anything we're touching on here completely. But I just don't know that we can certainly say either way. Yeah. I don't believe that police are purposefully racists in a lot of senses. I don't believe that judges or, uh, or prosecutors or purposefully racist. And I add that defining uh, term in there purposefully because I think that's one of the things that gets lost in the, con- uh, in the confines of what we're talking about when it comes to racism. Mm-hmm. I think absolutely that there is racism that happens unwillingly. I-, I think that I'm sure that there's behaviors that I have that are racist unwillingly, but I, I, as far as the way that our society looks at things now, there is context mm-hmm. doesn't seem to matter. And so I can, let's say, completely innocently do something and have zero hate in my heart, zero negative feelings towards a certain community. And I do something that someone happens to find offensive and I'm then labeled as a racist or having done a racist action. And when, but if you were to sit down and talk to me, you'd see like, I feel like I'm a pretty good person. Like I'm not trying to be bad or discourage anybody. You know, some of my opinions are discouraging to certain communities um, simply because I'm trying to follow data, but there is no negative intention towards those communities, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. So, well, yeah. Go sorry, ahead. go ahead. I keep doing that. I keep thinking that your data is jump in, but no, I apologize. Well, I take, please like, continue. I, I take strange pauses and then like I, yeah, sorry about that. I, I and one of, the, one of the things about police is I think a, a lot of that go, First of all, you know, the, there's 370 plus million inter- police interactions per year. Mm-hmm. And like if we're just I, I don't know if you've ever seen a, the breakdown of the Washington Post police statistics or the FBI statistics yeah. on like shootings and unarmed shootings. Mm-hmm. Like. For me, I just it's hard for me to to cope with this narrative or the media narrative of, you know, it's dangerous for a, a, a black man to walk out on the streets because he has to fear being shot when statistically if, if we're just going based on on like shootings and they're highlighting these small amount of cases that are going on um there's actually i, I broke this down because i heard the statistics and i wanted to do the math myself so i did it i think a couple of years ago or a year ago or so mm-hmm. a, a black man would statistically have a higher chance of being stung to death by or an unarmed black man would have a higher chance of being stung to death by bees than being killed by the police and the way that I broke that down was just basically going on bee stings and deaths in the community. And then I cross-checked it with the Washington Post statistics and FBI statistics for unarmed black men killed by the police. And then on top of that, you have unarmed men when you subtract 
whether or not they're actually physically attacking the police at that time, the number dropped significantly. So like in 2015, it was 36 unarmed men shot, but 15 of those happened to be attacking the police. And then every single year since then, it's dropped to where I think last year it was like around 15 or something. I'm not entirely sure. I've got the numbers somewhere here, but um, just for the sake of moving forward. Um, mm -hmm. Like 370 million, I, I just feel like we're being so critical of the police when they have all these interactions per year and there's such a small number of uh, violent actions and uh, wrongdoings as far as shootings go toward the, the black community, it's hard for me to accept and sit back and say, yes, there is systemic racism or yes, they are targeting the black community as far as this one number goes. I think you're touching on several things there. And the first I'd like to talk about is perception. Mm -hmm. you are i don't believe you have children correct you don't have children no i don't okay is so, it that obvious that i can't find a lady to commit <laughs> <laughs> no that that was not where i was going with that but you you just burned yourself so i'll let that sit but anyways uh no uh, so if you have a child they are far likelier to die in a car accident than by school shooting mm -hmm. that doesn't mean you don't fear school shootings that doesn't okay. mean the school shootings aren't a problem you're far more likely to die of heart disease than you are cancer. Does not mean that cancer isn't a problem. And again, that, that number is a lot closer together than what you pointed out before. I'm just painting a picture of perception. Yeah. So we have to first talk about the perception of these things and it's not created. And then one of the, the narratives that I really want to kill uh, if I can is that the media is not doing this. Black people have been talking about the policing of the black community since we uh, were first granted freedom. You know what I mean? Since that's always been the thing. Mm -hmm. And so that, that's one of the things that I think we have to be careful of is saying that, oh, the media, what I can say this, and I've had this conversation with many people, if you look at, the, if you look at a lot of the statistics, black, uh, black men being shot by the police has gotten better. Mm -hmm. But people are way more aware of it now. Yeah. That's just a proliferation of, our, uh, of the media, right? And that's not, I'm not saying the media is doing something wrong. I'm saying that we have social media, we have Google, we have news on the internet, we have news on TV, we have news on YouTube. Like there's so many ways for us to see it now. You can't avoid it as readily as you could before. Like Rodney King probably didn't make it across the country for what, two, three weeks for a lot of people, but in LA, they lost their minds immediately. Right. So there's all that. And then you touch on another thing you say there too. I don't think, at least for me, it's not so much that black people are likely to be shot by police as it is for me that there is no accountability for it. That's the problem that I typically have with it. Mm -hmm. If you want to tell me that Brianna Taylor uh, was shot because of her boyfriend shooting at the police, I can see the case for that. Because mm -hmm. and I had and so on my podcast I had in one of my favorite episodes uh, and please anybody who's interested please go listen to it. I had a police officer on my on my podcast mm -hmm. and I talked to him about a lot of these things. Um, if you want to tell me that. Brianna Taylor was shot because her boyfriend shot at the police first. I can see the case for that. That mm -hmm. makes sense to me. Right. Yeah. But what he did was legal. The police returning fire legal. Her dying is terrible. So where is the solution in that? Or, or Tamir Rice or, or uh, John Crawford in Beaver Creek, Ohio. You know, there's a lot of these instances. Um, uh, George Floyd, of course, is a big one that obviously just happened last year. And then uh, the gentleman, Eric Garner out in New York. Mm -hmm. The accountability piece for me is where these things come from for me, because I know that the cops have more interactions that go that end without people dying than they do the ones that do. 
but what I can't, what I have a problem sitting with is the fact that you can tell me that what happened to George Floyd is okay. That you, what happened to Tamir Rice is okay. What happened to John Crawford is okay. What happened to Eric Garner is okay. Like you, those are the conclusions I can't reach. Mm-hmm. You can't tell me that a 12 year old child playing in a park alone with a fake gun in an open carry state can be shot within six seconds of the cop showing up. And that's just fine. That's the law. Mm-hmm. John Crawford buying a BB gun in a store. He hasn't left the store yet. He's still in the store. He's planning to purchase the, the, the toy from It's shot within three seconds of cops showing up or whatever, or getting to him anyways. Mm-hmm. Like you can't tell me those are the, those are okay. So I agree with your assertion that the data says that generally speaking, you're not likely to be killed by police. The data also says that for terrorism, it doesn't change the way that I feel about it. it doesn't change the way that I want the world to make sense to me about it. We haven't had very many terrorist attacks here in the United States. And the, those that have have been committed by our own citizens most of the time. Mm-hmm. So, but that doesn't change the way that we all feel about a lot of these things, right? So I think that's those two pa- facts really break down for me is one is perception, which we, we have to address. And that the way to address it is not just by more data and everything like that. It's by accountability, I think. And that's the second piece of my thing is too, accountability. It, mm-hmm. it, there has to be accountability for the things that we were that we're going into here. Because if you're telling me that cops sometimes kill people because they need to, I 100,000 million percent agree with that. Mm-hmm. People, cops have to kill people. That's part of the job that you sign up for. Military members sometimes have to kill people. It's part of the job that you sign up for, right? But what we have to make sure that we're being true on is when they're not supposed to, and we just let them walk. Mm-hmm. That would never happen for you or I. If I had rolled up in that park and shot Tamir Rice... I'd go to jail, rightfully so, by the way. I'm not saying that I should be able to shoot people and get away with it. I'm not making that case. That, that would make it, the world a lot more dangerous for a lot of people. But, mm-hmm. but uh, I'm just saying we have to have accountability and we just have to make sure that we, we understand that perception is part of the reality that we live in. I'm, people are worried about shark attacks, but you're so le- not likely to be attacked by a shark. It's yeah. not going to happen. <laughs> yeah, that makes sense. Being, I, I mean, I, maybe it comes across wrong and I'm saying we shouldn't be worried about it. You should Everything you say it, comes across wrong. It's your it's, face. <laughs> I've heard that a lot, particularly from my brother, from yeah. all my students, other teachers, friends. It yeah. happened to be a face problem. <laughs> yeah. Don't like the face you give me. That's what it is. No. <laughs> I'll try to act happy. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Now you just look like a serial killer. Great. You can't yeah, win. Well, I mean, most serial killers are white, so. <laughs> yeah, we don't talk about that. No, I'm just <laughs> uh shoot now i just look what you've done i've completely forgotten what i was saying i warned Uh, you (laughs) shoot um where was i going with that do you happen to remember the last thing that i just said um what what was the thing that i joked on uh that you were weren't trying to to say something that was wrong like or maybe you said yeah that we shouldn't be i'm not saying that we shouldn't be worried about it It totally makes sense and i get Mm -hmm. it i guess I guess my biggest conflict is when the narrative in the U.S., and you said it's not necessarily the media that's responsible for this, and it's been happening in the black community a lot. I think that that's true, but to an extent, I disagree with the fact that the media is not responsible for it because they constantly run the same narratives over and over. So every single time that uh, anyone in the black community is has violence committed against them, the media runs with it, and turns it into a race issue instantly before there's even any evidence that comes out. But you can see the exact same situation against a white individual. Uh, I wish I could remember the name. There's a, do you remember the case? Uh, it was last, just this last year. And there was a white gentleman in a hotel and he was 
they police had guns aimed on him and they told him that he was on his knees and they were telling him to crawl forward, keep his hands out. He's oh, like, no, that that was a while ago. I know exactly yeah. what you're talking about. I don't remember the, the gentleman's name either, but yeah, that was messed up. Pull his pants up and they just unload on him. Oh, yeah, that I was screwed like up. That was 2020, wasn't it? Or was that 2019? I, I want to say it was like a 19 or 18, but yeah, I'm definitely aware of what you're talking about. That was, anyway, that was screwed I, up. I've, yeah, I've got a video of it on another thing, but yeah, I, I, the fact that things can happen... So like, for example, let's pretend that that gentleman was a, a, a black guy mm-hmm. and he was shot 100%. I don't think there's any doubt. I know there's no doubt in my mind. I highly doubt there's doubt in your mind that if the mm-hmm. media heard that instantly, it would be just like the George Floyd. It would be top news of the story, a black man, innocently black man being killed due to racist racism. Mm-hmm. But the fact that something like this happens, and there's a lot of situations like this that happen, mm-hmm. the fact that it can happen with other races means that we must open the door. So if a white gentleman or a white guy is like killed because of any reason by the police, we open the door to, okay, was he attacking the police? Was he doing this? Was he doing that? Was he? There's tons of reasons. Mm-hmm. But every time the media gets hold of one in the black community, there's only one narrative that they run and it's always associated with racism. And so I think that's where my problem comes. And that's why I end up arguing against these cases more often. And it's not because I'm racist. It's not because I have any negative feelings towards anyone in the black community. It's because the media narrative always aims one direction. If it's a white person, then they open the door to all the things that that person may have done wrong. But if it's a black person, they correlate automatically. If it's white versus black or the system versus black, it's automatically racism and no matter what evidence comes out after that mm-hmm. it's still attributed to racism and they won't change the narrative at that point like oh more evidence came out this person happened to be going for an officer's gun and they were shot or they were going for a knife in their vehicle and they were shot something like that mm-hmm. and so i think that's where i have my biggest qualm is is that it's always aimed in one direction and the evidence doesn't change the narrative and so i end up fighting against it and then people just assume that i'm racist or something well i think one of the things i would ask is in your search when you were doing it did you find a correlation uh that black people are more likely to be shot by police and killed than white people are not not the total numbers or or whatever like you said before that you're more likely to be stung by bees to death than you are to be shot by police but did you find that black people are killed more by cops than white people are Okay, so this is an inter- interesting question. On the surface mm-hmm. level, you'd look at the first numbers and you would say, the first level, you'd say no. But then you say, okay, well, you have to look at population rate, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So then you'd say, well, then African-Americans are statistically shot at a higher rate than white people because they have a much lower population. And then you say, mm-hmm. okay, but then you have to go one step lower. And this kind of goes back into your M&M example. Now, Here's something that I haven't heard anyone else arguing, and this is something from years of me, like just analyzing this and trying to think what is the most accurate way to look at statistics. If you look at the total population, then yes, African-Americans are shot or killed or uh, brutality against them at a higher rate than whites. But looking at the total population isn't necessarily accurate. And when I say this to people, they kind of look at me like I'm a crazy person. But going to your Eminem example, let's say that you have a hundred white M&Ms. Let's not go white and black. Let's say you have a hundred red M&Ms. Okay. Mm-hmm. And then uh, 
you have 50 purple M&Ms. And you're basing on how many of those M&Ms do you catch or do you eat, whatever. And somebody is throwing those at you. Okay, so at the end of it, even though there's 100 M&Ms and there was only 50 purple M&Ms, did I say white again? No, 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 you're good, you're good. Let's say you, you, have, you said red and purple. Red and purple okay, are two red colors. Pur- red and purple. Yeah, yeah. Red and purple. <laughs> Even though there's 100 red M&Ms and only 50 purple M, you would expect that twice as many red M&Ms were in the bag at the end, right? Mm-hmm. But the thing that you have to factor in is that depending on who the person that's catching the M&Ms is encountering. So if the person that's throwing the M&Ms is throwing two to one purple M&Ms than red M&Ms, then at the end of the situation, it doesn't matter how many total M&Ms there were. It matters that the ones that are thrown at the police. And this goes back to my victimization rate. The Mm -hmm. large majority of the victims that are being called are in the minority community against the minority communities by the minority communities. And so, or the black community, actually, Hispanic is a bit different. So, it doesn't seem accurate to put the summation of all the populations of every race in there because the majority of, of people in all races are not even being con are not even in contact with the police. So you have to take the percentage of the ones being brought into contact. And that's why I go back to violent crimes because the police are not just showing up on a violent crime. They're called to a violent crime. But th- that's the thing. I think that's the thing we're talking about too. You can't say that police shootings are involved in violent crime because they're not. The, the situations I just gave you, none of those were violent crimes. Tamir Rice isn't violent. Breonna Taylor isn't violent. You know, and I'll keep going that list if I need to. But the point is that I don't think that's a good segmentation of that data because of that. They're not being called to violent crimes in most of these situations. They're being called to, or they, maybe in the Michael Brown situation, which is one of the murkier ones for me. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't like the data, the, not the data, excuse me, the facts of that car, uh, that particular situation are the murkiest, in my opinion, of almost all the other ones I've talked about. That's why I almost never bring it up. But mm-hmm. uh, anyways, in the Michael Brown situation being the one he wasn't, they weren't called out. All the other situations they were called out, none of them to violent crimes. Eric Garner wasn't violent. Uh, Tamir Rice wasn't violent. Um, I apologize, I'm getting my names mixed up now. John Crawford wasn't violent. Like all these people, they're not violent. Mm-hmm. So you're, you know, you're not, it's not just about the violent crimes you interact with. It's about the outcomes of these incidents and the touch points. And then again, to that point, what we talked about before, we know that there's more touch points with police and black people. Mm-hmm. That's been proven time and time again. You've proven it with the data that you're talking about. Yeah. So it, it's not a good marker for them to say, hey, if you look at how many times they're interacting with these people, that percentage is lower for, for blacks and whites because nobody's telling them to interact with blacks that much either. That's part of the overall problem we're talking about too, is the over-policing. So stop mm-hmm. interacting with them as much, you know what I mean? But I, I'm, I'm joking mostly because you're going to interact with whoever you need to interact with. But um, I just think it's, a, again, it's a, mo- a lot more complicated than a lot of people are taking. And I think that you're right. The media narrative, excuse me, the media definitely pushes out more stories about black people being killed than they do white people. That doesn't mean that the white people don't die. That guy, like you said, that's a messed up story. The dude was cr- He was cr- begging them not to shoot him. You yeah. know what I mean? The, the white guy you're talking about now. Yeah. I, I really got to remember that guy's name. Yeah, I can't um, remember it either. I've got it in one of my documents here, but yeah. I don't have it pulled up. And it's like a 20-page document that I can't yeah. go through right now. But <laughs> yeah, yeah, and I forget. And I want to say this is true. Definitely, please, when you release this episode, if I'm wrong, put like a blurb up on the screen or something like that. And, or just cut my part out and completely and just voice over it. But I don't think the cops were convicted in that story either. I don't think those cops went to jail. I do not, or uh, I don't believe they were indicted, maybe even, for, mm-hmm. for shooting that dude. 
Yeah, so I, I, I'm not sure about that, and maybe that's something that we both need to look into. But, I mean, if, what, if that's accurate, I mean, that would kind of be another thing that maybe there are some, some issues with the system and definitely with what the police regulation, their handbooks tell them to do, because I think the, lean, the, the ability, the things that they're allowed to do gives them leeway in these situations where it's like, okay, well, I literally followed this. So ex- for an example, the Chauvin uh, uh, Floyd situation, you know, the other day I did a breakdown with a buddy of mine and we looked at, you know, within that state, the regulations that they're, what are they specifically told to do in given situations? And for a, a perpetrator that is showing resistance, it's literally tells them to put the knee on the neck. So even though it's stupid and he's, he should not sit there with his knee on someone's neck for that long. They can use the excuse in court that, Hey, I'm doing exactly what the book told me to do in this situation. And then you get into a whole bunch of foggy ground with when he becomes unconscious and he doesn't come off of him and all kinds of stuff. But the fact that that's in their book gives them the ability to do it to begin with. So yeah, oh, yeah go ahead. Sorry. So, no, I was just going to, I'm going to point out there that that's part of the problem, right? Mm-hmm. Is that the, it says that in the first place, because uh, I think I saw on one of your things too, you're, you're uh, um, an MMA guy. You like MMA and stuff, right? That I do. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I've, I've practiced uh, jujitsu and uh, Muay Thai and everything like that for a better part of a decade or a little over um, and stuff like that. So police officers in Derek Chauvin's case, don't know what the heck they're doing. So they should not be told to do that technique. And if you are told to do that technique, that doesn't forgive that you kill somebody from doing it because you're still in control of making sure that that suspect doesn't die. He's doing nothing to say that that force is necessary. And I think that's ultimately where he'll get, he'll get caught on because even though it says you can do that technique, it does still say that you're not supposed to kill people if they're not actively trying to hurt you or others. And he wasn't. So I think he's still going to be in trouble there. But anyways, I, I say all that just to say that there is a lot of things that need to change with policing. And I don't believe all of them are race driven. I think you could probably catch a lot of the race issues by solving the larger issues with policing and how it's done in this particular country. Cause it's not done this way everywhere else around the world. Some countries, yes, some countries no. And every country has its problems with everything. You know what I mean? I'm not trying to paint America as this, this terrible place or whatever and stuff like that. We just have a problem with a specific situation. And I believe we need to look deeper into it. Mm-hmm. But that, like you said, my, my, my overall point was, the guy, the white guy, I don't think they, they convicted those police officers either. And that's problematic. Oh. And oh, I yeah, do yeah. believe that's, that's what, yeah. yeah, that's what I was going to was that, I mean, this is evidence that there is some issues with, because of what uh, the leeway that they're given. Mm-hmm. If those guys were not convicted to me, that just seems completely crazy. But I think that opens the door that all of these police officers that are getting off, not all, but a lot of these police officers that are getting off in these other situations with a, a, a black victim, mm-hmm. and it's all labeled as racism. It's not necessarily racism. It, it might just be the policy within the, what, what they're trained to do. And my response to that would be this. Where I think you see that the racism comes into play is that the numbers are higher with black people in those instances. And that's the problem. It's not saying that they shouldn't be, it should be happening to white people. It should, should be happening to anybody. Mm-hmm. All the people we would want that to not happen to, right? But if it's happening at a higher rate to a specific population, it's hard to not look at that and say, hey, yes, it's happening to everyone and it shouldn't be but it is happening at a higher rate to these people. And that's where you start to come into it. And again, I, I think that the definition of racism is 
fluid these days. And that's one of the things that I think we could spend a lot of time, not just you and I, but us as people talking about. And where does that go? Because I told you before, one of the more, the definitions is coming up now that I don't specifically agree with uh, is that any outcome that has a more negative effect to a specific population, in this case, let's just say black, just because that's what we're talking about right now, uh, is racist. And I'm like, well, I don't know that that's completely a fair definition of it. I can see where you're trying to get to there, but I think it needs, it's more uh, nuanced than that, mm -hmm. right? So like to, to the end, if like we just started to do, I don't know, I'm just going to throw out some stupid stereotype or something like that and just make it make stick for a second or whatever. If we just decided that we're going to start rounding everybody up who's good at basketball, is that mm -hmm. inherently racist? No. Mm -hmm. Do we think it might affect black people a little bit more based upon stereotypes? Yeah, probably. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? So like, is it a racist policy by what you're going with? No, but the outcome could be potentially racist. Now that's a situation that, again, I think that we're just, we're splitting hairs at some point, but I just worry about where we're going with the definition of racism and making sure that we stay focused on the fact that racism does not have to be purposeful and willful to be racist. That's part of, the, I think, the really tough decision for people. Excuse me, uh, the tough, it's tough for people to really take that to heart. That even if you didn't mean to be, that you took a racist action based upon the way that you, you behaved in a situation. I can point my finger at myself for that, right? Mm -hmm. In certain situations, because of somebody's uh, race or something like that, maybe I react differently if they were or were not a certain race. Mm -hmm. It's not just conscious. And that's part of the thing that I think we have to keep dealing with. That's not only, I mean, the thing that you said, that's kind of a key. And that's something that, uh, you know, over the last couple of years, I've, I've heard more is, you know, what you're saying is every inequity is, or no, every inequality is inequity. And it's like, that's just factually inaccurate. And you can find so many examples of that. And so when we cling to these ideas, you know, like what you're saying, professional sports, there's a whole lot more black, black athletes that are much better. And just at that sport, it doesn't mean that these organizations are saying uh, are being racist. But if you go off this definition that a lot of people are trying to go off of now and trying to tra transform what is racism, any inequality equals racism, it just doesn't make sense. Because when you look at it, when it goes the other direction, suddenly it doesn't it doesn't count or saying, oh, no, it only works when you go against this community but it works for that community, suddenly it doesn't count. So I don't think that's a fair way to analyze it. And I think this is a fair way to get back into, you know, the point that I raised a long time ago that I completely forgot about. Uh, <laughs> and I probably did too, and obviously. I literally asked you to remind me and you didn't. So I'm going to cut you out of this entire episode. That makes sense. That uh, seems reasonable. <laughs> yeah, completely. Is, you know, there's, there's a lot of government intervention that has the goal of helping the black community or any minority community. And the result later, I think, is damaging. So an example of this, and I don't know a ton about this. And I should know more about it if I'm going to talk about it. But uh, I believe in the, in the 60s, and they start having government programs for um, single households. And so you'd think, okay, this is great because you've got these the people that need extra help and the family split up, you're going to give government help to these people. But the, the marriage rates in the black community significantly rose. So it was around 20% and it rose all the way up to like 70% after these government interventions came into place. Mm -hmm. And so you can argue, well, these government interventions that tried to help the black community actually ended up hurting them because it gave incentives for single households. And one of the biggest indicators of problems 
in the black community or any community really is a father, fatherless household. And so you encourage a community to, instead of working on the marriage and trying to stay together, you say, well, you're going to get government money if you separate. That encourages this disparity and it ends up causing the black community to have much higher rates of divorce and fatherless households. And then you also see the crime starting to rise over time throughout that, uh, when that, after the government implements that policy. And there's a lot of little things like that, that in turn would say, okay, well, that was completely racist then just because they, that result was inequality. Mm -hmm. Um, in that particular policy that you're, you're putting forward, I, I would definitely want to look more at, at tracking that more closely because I think that that's, again, correlation and not causation because anybody who is willing to split up for government assistance either tells you, one, the biggest problem in that household is not the fatherless, it, it's money, mm -hmm. or two, um, they weren't going to be good parents to begin with and none of this matters. <laughs> you know what I mean? They were just going to be shitty parents to begin with because if you're, if you're like kicking the dad out because you need a, a check, then mm -hmm. you, you're going to be screwed. And you're going to have problems from the very beginning. But I, I think that what we have to keep in mind when we're talking about things like that is that policies that are put into place generally are very short-sighted. And I think that's one of the, the big weaknesses of the government. However, I don't think it's right to say either that the government gets to shitty, be shitty to this community for so long and then do nothing to fix the mess it's made. Mm -hmm. And that's part of the problem. Like, so we were talking about stuff like, say, the war on drugs, right? The war on drugs is one of my favorite examples for, for accidental racism, if you will. It wasn't accidental, by the way. All the people who said they were, who were involved in putting it together to have been caught on tape saying that they did it to hurt black and brown communities. But that's beside the point. <laughs> the point is that none of the laws in the war on drugs are specifically against black people or brown people for that matter. Right. But the enforcement of them has been like mm -hmm. outrightly. So, cause again, how many, going back to the soccer mom example I gave before, they're just not persecuting soccer moms at the same rate that they are for, uh, excuse me, soccer moms with former prescription drugs, you know, in their car that they're taking illegally mm -hmm. uh, at the same rate that they are people in black and brown communities uh, for, for, say crack crack was a favorite one that people love to go to or marijuana marijuana is the really bad one that caused a lot of problems yeah and then you start you go to the, the 94 crime bill i think is a great example of oh, yeah, yeah. what you're talking that was about. terrible yeah yeah clinton right yeah 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 so, and so to, back to my point why i say i'm neither democrat nor republican because yeah a lot of these politicians are shitty on both sides <laughs> yeah it, but there's a weird argument there because you know i've heard both sides and i don't know enough about it to make a determination but yeah. you can say well Crime rates went down after that, but it much it it targeted the African American community. But then somebody else will say, "Well, it targeted that community because they were the ones committing these crimes." But then other people say, "Well, crime around the entire country went down at that time, and it wasn't just because of the '94 crime bill in that certain location." So there's like so many different arguments that are going back and forth that I don't know enough about it. And I, I don't know if I could ever know enough about it to research stuff because some of it is opinionated, you know, like mm -hmm. I, I don't really know what the reason was for crime dropping, but I know that based on this bill, that community was targeted more, but I don't know necessarily where they targeted more because they were the ones committing the crime that this bill targeted more, or was there another reason? Was, was there racism built into it? 
uh, it's hard for me to know. Well, let's say this. It's impossible for crime to go down and for convictions to go up. That's how you find crime. You know what I'm saying? So mm -hmm. if you're saying that crime is going down, what you're saying is convictions are going down. What you're saying is more, less people are being arrested and, and convicted. And if you're not saying that, then crime actually went up. So that's, that's the rub, right? So when you're saying the crime bill went into effect and it was more effective, what we have seen that America loves to do is what's called negative reinforcement, which is we want to dissuade people from doing things by making punishments bad. Mm -hmm. What we've also seen a lot of research done on psychologically, people don't respond well to that. People do not, are not necessarily that scared of negative reinforcement. I, there, to, for an example of this, which is a really weird fact that I know, and I, I think it was on a Joe Rogan episode or something like that that I listened to where some expert was talking about this, but, uh, or maybe I read an article. Anyways, one of the stupidest policies that sounded good on the surface but has been so ineffective has been trying to make crimes in close relation to a school have a harsher sentence. And the reason for that is that the radius of them spread out so wide in some sense, uh, instances, and then schools were just located and you couldn't get out of that radius. So it was ineffective. People just started doing crime where they were. It was like, it doesn't matter if I'm near a school or not because everywhere's near a school by the radius as you set. I'm just so imagining a map with those circles around the schools yeah. and you're like, right before you commit the crime, you're looking at, oh, there's a little triangle yeah. between these yeah. three schools. I can get right in there. Commit and, my that, and that's the thing because on the surface, it sounds like, hey, we don't want people doing these crimes or any crimes really close to schools. So we want to have this radius where it's more, you'll get worse punishment when you're, you're near a school. But then the enforcement of that policy is so asinine that you basically made it where it can't matter anymore. I'm not going to drive 20 miles away from my freaking house to do a crime, right? Mm -hmm. That's just not something that, again, I probably would if I was going to commit crime because I don't want to get caught. But <laughs> I'm saying like a lot of these people, they're not going to go through that. The reason they're committing crime nine times out of 10 in a lot of these communities is because they don't have any money. So if I don't have money, I certainly can't travel <laughs> to commit crime. So like that's so like, if you're going to tell me now that I have to go to jail for extra just because there's a school located by, you're like, great. And, and then going back to that whole thing where like the outcomes of these policies uh, can be seem racist, where do we think that people's houses are located closer to the school? In a lot of poorer black and brown communities. Because mm -hmm. if you live in a suburb, which is a really weird thing that we've done now, we're starting to flip again. Uh, I'm sorry, I'm going off on a small tangent for one second. Go for it. Used to be suburbs were created to get away from the city and the cities where the poor, where poor people live. We're starting to see that flip. Now the poorer people are starting to go to suburbs and the, the more affluent like millennials and stuff like that are coming into the cities because they want all the stuff around them again. So we're seeing this whole thing flip, which is going to be really interesting to see what it does to these laws again and all the crime and everything like that too. But I, I only mention all that just to say that it used to be suburbs were where more affluent people lived. Mm -hmm. And generally speaking, you're not going to be as close to a school. You're not going to be as close to like a lot of these things. So these laws directly impacted, again, the black and brown communities, which typically at that time and still to this day, to the best of my knowledge, are your lower socioeconomic status uh, areas. Do you and think that that, so, so this is, I think, a good segue to what we we're talking about before. Do you think, yeah. so when they, when they do that, and mm -hmm. it clearly affects these particular communities, and then, you know, years later, people look back and say, oh, look at this, this racist impl implementation of such and such law. Do you mm -hmm. think that that's a justification that, oh, yeah, yeah, that was racist? Or do you think that that's reaching and, and kind of digging for racism because of an outcome didn't come out the way that we wanted. Well, I think that's one of the things we have to continue to, to challenge ourselves on and to think about. It's like, what I said before is that racism does not have to be purposeful, right? So if you put a policy into place that just decimated the black community, it's hard to say that's, not, or take it away from black people just for a second, just to show that I'm not biased. 
the mm-hmm. Jewish community, the, the Hispanic community, the Asian community, you know what I mean? Like whatever community it is you want, hell, if it was the white community for that matter, right? Like it's hard to look at that and say that that doesn't matter. Mm-hmm. And I think that's one of the things I go back to. It's like, that's why we have to be careful with thinking that racism is purposeful. It doesn't, it, a lot of times we have evolved as a society where racism, a lot of it is no longer purposeful. We want to believe it's the hillbilly uh, who, who's on, who's KKK waving the rebel flag and all this type of stuff or whatever. And then he's, that's what your idea of racism is. Mm-hmm. But what it is, is the, the, the um, people at Starbucks calling the cops and those black people who are just sitting in the Starbucks. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like they're do- these are the types of things that we're talking about that they just don't, they not necessarily coming from a place of where I'm having a thought that because that dude's white, I'm going to take X action. Yes, that would be clearly racist. Let's be clear about that. But what I'm saying is that's not how a lot of racism works for people anymore. It's my, in my actual reaction to something that I maybe didn't even think about. It's the lady in the park who was a liberal, by the way, which is something that I can't believe more conservatives haven't jumped on. I really think they're missing that opportunity here. That lady in the park in New York last year who yeah, called and said- Yeah, she's a crazy person, right? So she I, was, well, I don't remember what she said, but she specifically pointed yeah, out. She said I he mean, was like a, attacking or threatening her or something like that. And like, you're just standing there. But she, he all, like the thing that pointed out to me that, okay, th- this is, so the next question I was going to ask you yeah, yeah. is wh- how do we find that line? Because it, it is to me a subjective line and it's always moving Excuse depending me. on who does the action. If you're in a certain class of people, it seems like you're getting away with things that other people, groups of people are not able to get away with so and when i say class i mean kind of like a elite status not race just kind of like where you are in society based on your politics yeah, yeah, yeah. but look i'll she, point your finger at me for a second just to point out what you're talking about i think in my socioeconomic status and education level and stuff like that my outcomes are going to be significantly different than the majority of the black population i'm a black man right like there's no question about that but there are other demographics that matter. And when it comes down to that, you, so if you paint the broad brush of black people and you try to paint me in there, you're going to see I'm an outlier. I don't fit a lot of what you're talking about in a 90% of these circumstances. For that matter, going back to the stupid example I gave before, OJ Simpson doesn't fit. Mm-hmm. OJ Simpson's ass should have gone to jail, <laughs> both realistically and because he was a black man, right? But mm-hmm. then you start to go, oh, well, yeah, he's also a celebrity and he's famous. And he's got tons of money and the cops made a ton of mistakes and all this stuff. Then you get to that, at the end. So to answer the, the first part of your question there, I think you do it by having conversations like this, hopefully with people who are more educated on the topic than you and I are, but yeah, sure. uh, you have to have that conversation and we have to stop letting politics split so much of what we're doing here. Mm-hmm. You can be a conservative and think policing needs to be reformed. You can be a liberal and think that a police are okay. Like the fact that we try to draw all these solid lines on where we, we line up on all these issues is nonsense. It's just stupid. And it goes back to the way like, what we talked about at the very beginning of this conversation with conservative people now being okay, giving away some of their rights. They want the government to come in and uh, uh, regulate Facebook and everything like that. It's like, you've spent your entire life believing the government can go screw themselves and stay away from your stuff. Mm-hmm. Because you, you, you land on the line, this side of the line, don't just take that policy line. Let's have conversations like this. Let's talk about this. And then actually do some shit. Stop with the thoughts and prayers. You know what I mean? Like get yeah. something done. Put a, put a policy into place and then monitor it. Don't yeah. put a policy into place and then you, they're, they're the, uh, the p- opponent on the other side. Just go, that policy didn't work. They're a piece of shit. Get him out of here. Because that's exactly how we get all this stuff. Mm-hmm. Everybody says that the war on drugs is a failure, mostly conservatives, which I 100% agree with. But who's ending it? Why aren't we ending it? Mm-hmm. Nobody thinks it's working. Who, who is sitting there saying this is exactly what we needed to be doing this entire time? Nobody. So why is it still going on? It, it does seem like a lot of people talk 
I mean, obviously it's politics. Everyone talks to get into office and they they get into office and they, you know, half of the things that they said they're going to do, they make exceptions for or kind of change mm-hmm. their perspective slightly. Oh, well, we have to do this because of this. Well, that's the exact same excuse the last person used and they yeah. were doing it and you were criticizing them. So yeah, it's a bit troublesome. And then, you know, like that example you just brought up that lady in the park, that's a very clear situation of racism. And the reason I think that because she specifically said on the phone, a black man, blah, blah, blah. To the best of my knowledge, she literally pointed out the race to say, oh, oh, oh no, no. She said, da, 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 and it's a black man or something like that. No, it's uh, it's more racist than that, actually. She she only said that to, on the phone because they asked her. She said it directly to him that she was going to tell them a black man is attacking her. <laughs> oh. so, yeah, more racist course, than that. Right? So when there's clear <laughs> evidence like that, like I'm 100% on board, like this is very bad. I, I guess I just rendered the problem because everything is subjective and the stuff that we're talking about, it's like, yep, you're, you're kind of mentioning that not, not everything that is racist is intentional. It's hard for me to jump on board with that because I agree with you in some instances, but I doesn't seem like our society is willing to sit down and say, okay, let's wait for the evidence. It's, it's all or nothing. And it seems like you pick a side and you jump in and you attack. And, you know, I could do something completely innocent that's deemed very racist and it doesn't matter what my justification or context is after the fact. And so I have a hard time jumping on that. Like if there's, if there's something that comes out, you know, even like a, a very controversial situation with, with uh, mm-hmm. Floyd and Chauvin, mm-hmm. the situation, very bad situation. But the very first narrative that came out was it was racially motivated. And I, you know, I watched the tape and I don't, I can't see any evidence that tells me specifically if that guy had been white doing all the exact same things that it would be different. And my reason for saying that is like, I'm looking for like some background information, evidence that this individual is had a history with like racial issues or using racial slurs during the event. And without that, maybe because I'm a white guy, I'm afraid to jump on that because who knows if, you know, next week I'm the one driving down the road and I uh, nail on a guy's neck for nine minutes. And I, what's that? (laughs) You're driving down the road, you nail on a guy's neck for nine minutes. Let's say a black guy cuts me off and I flip him off and, oh, you stupid idiot. And someone gets it on on camera and now I'm a racist, but it's like, really uh, that guy was just being a dick. And now I'm not comparing that to the Chauvin situation. It's very different, but I'm just saying, I don't want to jump on any train without significant evidence because I don't know if I'm the next person that's going to be accused of racism. Like maybe I had a bad temper and I was being a dick that day, but I was being a dick to that guy because I perceived what he did as a bad action. Not because, Oh, it's a black guy. And I'm mad at him because he's a black guy. So in the Chauvin situation, like he can be 100% wrong in every area, but I'm not going to attribute race to that situation unless I have some evidence, if that makes sense. Are, are you familiar with David Duke? Uh, I'm familiar with the name. I know a little bit about him, but I'm not familiar as in like I could tell you much information about him. Okay. So, so those, for those who are unaware, David Duke is a former leader of the Ku Klux Klan or a specific segment of the Ku Klux Klan anyways, because mm-hmm. that is a whole other rabbit hole to go, go down is how the power structure of the Ku Klux Klan is so divided and like all this stuff. It's ridiculous. But nonetheless, David Duke was one of the first members of the Ku Klux Klan who told everybody we have to stop being outwardly racist. 
we need to change the way we talk. We need to change the way we dress. We need to change the entire image of what we're putting out there. Mm-hmm. And I'm not saying he's directly responsible for what we've seen, but I am saying that that is kind of indicative of what we've seen the evolution of racism become. It's no longer about being overtly racist because if, yeah, if you're overtly racist, the world has shown that it'll sell you down the river pretty quickly. Yeah. You know what I mean? Uh, you get things like ro- what happened with Roseanne Barr, which is arguably not racist. She's an idiot. Sure. But <laughs> yeah. I, do I think no. that she was saying she looked like a monkey because she was being racist? Probably not. I, I don't think that that's where she was going with that. I don't think that would be the particular racist epithet that she would try to go with, but it doesn't matter ultimately. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I say that just to say that in the Derek Chauvin situation specifically, there is not going to be overt racism because why would he? Like in what in what world is he going to just kneel down on the guy's neck and go? By the way, you're an N-word. Like it's it's not going to be that convenient for us to pull those things out. What you have to look at is the reactions that he has in those situations and the fact that it is a black man in there and extrapolate that data. And again, ultimately to me, it doesn't matter if it's racist. Mm-hmm. It ultimately doesn't matter because he killed a dude. That's the problem. the The fact that the guy is black, sure, spend that however you want to spend that in the media and everything, do that. But he killed a dude on camera while he kneeled on the dude's neck for nine minutes. That has to be something, right? Racist race or not. But I think, and yes, you're completely right that the media is going to take it and they run with it more because it is a black guy. But I think that we have to just be careful of how we're determining racism on both sides of this issue, right? Not everything is racist, but you don't need somebody to wear, uh, again, whatever your racist symbol is, swastika, burning cross, whatever it is, does it for you, um, and yell the n-word the k-word the f-word whatever the the thing you need them to yell is to be racist that's where we have to just be continue to evolve our definition of racism and involve what we're looking at here because you're right i think we do have a tendency sometimes to call things racist that aren't but we also have a very big tendency to ignore things that definitely are racially motivated at the very least the most recent incident being these, these past few days right the guy who shot all those people at the massage uh, parlors mm-hmm. so you're saying he's like yeah, so you didn't say I'm sorry. Sorry. Right. No, go ahead. Go ahead. Well, I, I think that's a great example because I mean, I respond, I don't know if it was Instagram or Twitter or what that I got on, but uh, there was like a CBS posting and people were going on. I was just kind of reading through and it's like talking about the crazy racism and this and that. And I, my, my first instinct was like, where is my very first thought? Where is, where's the evidence that this individual had racist thoughts against Asians? And so like, I'm thinking, you know, if I'm thinking of an easy target, small Asian women in a location is a very easy target. So I'm just, I simply pose the question, is this racism? Do we have any background? Do we know that he was targeting Asians for any particular reason? Or is this just a person that is a little bit demented or has some sort of mental problem or has violent tendencies that went into a place with easy targets? And then, you know, this morning I was listening to something talking about it and Apparently, with a background check, this person was previously pretty religious and struggled with uh, guilt and sexual fantasy guilt mm-hmm. and had done some things uh, like blocking porn on his own computers and this that. And they went into this massage parlor that apparently you could schedule stuff online for and get. I, I'm not 100% on this, so I might, I might be wrong and kind of don't even want to say it, but I'm just going to say like what I read, but I haven't had time to verify it. It was just this morning. But apparently, this place, you could get extra things than just a massage. Mm-hmm. And so then based on his background, he targets this particular location. Now, to me, I would say race isn't necessarily an issue in this factor, but almost everybody on this message board 
that I was looking at, I was saying race, 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 race. Mm-hmm. So for me, I just look at the tangible evidence of what I find out. And is there anything that points to this person does not like Asian people is the reason that he went to this place because of their ethnicity. And, and I think that's where you're, you're seeing, at least in my interpretation of what you're saying, there are blind spot. He went to two to three different locations that are Asian massage parlors. There's no way around saying that he targeted Asian people. You went to three different locations that are certain to have a higher Asian population. And again, I don't think that he sat down and had the thought, I want to go kill Asian women. But he did purposely target places that was rife with those people. He didn't mm-hmm. accidentally wander upon them, right? He, did, he didn't go and say, oh, there's an Asian woman I can take advantage. So he drove to three different locations where the, it's an Asian massage parlor. It's advertising the name of some of them and everything like that. He knew what he was going to find there. Do you so th- whether, sorry, go ahead. Do you think that he is going to those particular places because he's specifically looking for that Asian community? Or do you think he's going to those places because the stereotypical evidence is that in those locations, they will be more likely to offer services against what he believes in? What I'm ultimately saying is it doesn't matter because he's going to a place that is, again, going to have a higher population of Asian people. He's targeting those places and they have a higher. So it's like, again, if you went and you started, you wanted to kill people who listen to rap because you believe Metallica is the one true music, right? <laughs> I'm just referring back to your MySpace page, of course. You're going to probably kill more black people unless you're going to like yeah, Macklemore sure. shows or something, I imagine, right? Yeah. Like, but would you call that racist, though, if I'm just a Metallica lover and I hate rap? Would you say that, oh, that was a racist action? It, it, again, it's hard to look at the outcome and say that it's not because you're going to a place that is going to have a specific population there. You, and that's the pro- and that's why I say I think we have to be careful about saying that you're, you have to think racist thoughts, say racist things, have ra- evidence of those racism things going on to be racist. If you're going to a place that is an Asian massage parlor, it's in the name of it, right? And you go to three of them to shoot people. Like, how can you not say that you're going to find Asian people there? You're purposely targeting somebody. Somebody is also more likely to be there if they're Asian, right? <laughs> than the thought. You're going to the places where this population is going to be and you're targeting that location. It's, so it's, it's one of those things where I'm like, do I believe the guy sat down and said, yes, I want to kill Asian women? No. But because they were Asian women at these massage places, he viewed them as a threat to his whole sexual thing going on or whatever. The guy's an idiot, first of all. Let's start there. Yeah, yeah, so I don't think that his reasoning is going to be solid no matter how we break it down. But I am just saying that... it's you can't just look at it he didn't go to uh massage envy he didn't go to um and i guarantee you at the right massage envy you can get the same thing that he thought he could get at one of the asian places right but it's just one of those things like i said it's a lot more contextual than than i think we give credit for on, on all sides of it like i said i don't think that everybody's racist i don't think that no one's racist i also don't think that the majority of racist things that happen somebody sat down and made a conscious decision to be racist I think they, to going back to your example about uh, uh, flipping the guy off in traffic who happened to be black. Yeah, maybe. But maybe in your head, you had a second with that fucking black asshole or whatever. Like, you know, <laughs> and sorry for going for the F word and all this stuff too. I, I, but uh, dare you. those are just, yeah, right. I'm, I'm such an ass. It's because I'm black. No, but anyways. You were it, it's you those, said that. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah, exactly. It, it, it's those type of things we're talking about. I think it's just far more contextual because we have, uh, what's the other type of bias? I apologize. The, um, there's like a racial bias that you're not aware of. That we don't even know that it'll do like and what they found which is crazy this is a very a interesting problem one problem with this unconscious bias i'm assuming you're yeah. talking about unconscious bias i am but here's the thing that's funny about that they found it in all cops and i mean black cops too 
Mm-hmm. They find it. In, so black cops even uh, have some unconscious bias against other black people. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like that's the, that's how pervasive some of this stuff we're talking about is when we're talking about racism, we're talking about prejudice and all these type of things. That's why I think it's important for my own perspective. And maybe it's just the way that I grew up and maybe it's the language I grew up on that I think we need to bring prejudicial back. I think prejudicial is a lot easier of a word for people to hear than racism, because I think racism just hits a lot of people's ears, particularly white people, if I'm being honest. Uh, it's just really hard for them to swallow. I just don't think when people sit, hear the word racism, they go to the same thing that you're talking about. They want evidence. They want all this different proof of all these different things. They want everything going on. And again, on the, the black side of things, they're probably less, a lower bar to use it, right? Mm-hmm. But I think if we went back to prejudicial, which I think is a lot of what we're talking about really and what really makes sense to people, I think it'd be a lot easier of a conversation to have. That there's prejudice. That's all it is, really. Is that you're making a determination based upon something you already believe about this person because of a group that they fall into. Mm-hmm. The I only think- time it's right, right to be prejudicial is if they're a Michigan fan. University of Michigan, <laughs> all their fans are terrible, and you can be prejudicial and racist as much as you need to. Except that that's not a race, really. But nonetheless, well, that totally makes sense. Uh, what <laughs> yeah. Universityists. Yeah. <laughs> uh, you said something there that. Uh, sorry, we will wrap up here pretty soon. I know I've kept you way longer than what I originally planned to. I just very interested in the conversation. I appreciate yeah, yeah, absolutely. Long, sticking around this long. You mentioned something which, you know, I just happened to have a document up here that, you know, I had typed out some results from a study. Mm-hmm. You mentioned that even in, uh, you know, the minority group police officers that they have these unconscious biases. Mm-hmm. And in the 2019 uh, published, uh, what was it? Ac- uh, Academy of Science published a research that was showing kind of what you were saying and research found that more frequently officers encountered violent suspects of a given race, the greater chance a member of that group uh, had of being fatally shot. And that kind of went along with uh, violence as well. Mm -hmm. So I, I think that does provide even more evidence that it's not necessarily about the individual's race, but more, more about the perception which you said earlier, the perception is the thing that matters that even if it's a black officer and he's walking, let's use an example. If I'm walking down a road and there's a group of white kids in hoodies, and then on the right side, there's a group of old ladies because of the way that the human brain categorizes information, I'm going to naturally assume that that group of white kids in the hoodies is more dangerous than those old ladies over there. Because I no, statistically, just based on what I know and whether or not the information that I know is accurate or not, that's in a whole nother story. Mm-hmm. But I'm going to naturally categorize that in my head, and I'm probably going to choose to go down the right side where I'm less likely to be have any violence happen or anything happen to me in any regard. So I do think this shows that, you know, those Hispanic officers, black officers, they're not racist, but they do naturally categorize information in the same way that everybody does, in which case, if they're aware that when they go into a X neighborhood, they are more likely to be in danger than in this other neighborhood, then their tensions rise. They're more likely to commit, you know, an act that might be considered violent because they're more on a hair trigger situation because just they have a higher, their tensions just up. Mm-hmm. That makes sense. So I know that's kind of stepping many steps back into what we were talking about earlier. I don't mean to do that, but you just kind of said something that no, no, no. reminded me of this study. I think it's related to what I just said. So yeah, I'm totally on board with it. But it, And that's where I think, again, this conversation gets so, so, so deep down that rabbit hole and that most people just don't want to have it. And so they just want to wipe these things away. But 
Yeah, the the same prejudices that we've seen put onto TV or news uh, sources or all this type of stuff or whatever, they reach black and brown eyes as well. Mm-hmm. And so you could start to like, I can just go into my own history. There was a times when I internalized that, you know what I mean? When I, as a black man looking at the, the information that's been given to me and then being just are black people just bad because that's constantly what you're, what I was being told. I'm constantly being told in the news that we're bad. I'm constantly being told on TV that we're bad. I'm constantly being told in rap songs or not rap songs. I don't know why I said rap songs. In songs is what I meant to say uh, that we're bad, right? And so we can start to internalize that. And then of course, you're going to lead to that too when you get on the job of policing and you see in these communities that have a lot of black people because the reason that racism comes about in my opinion or prejudice, I should say, it comes about in my opinion is because humans are simple creatures when it comes to certain analysis. And we see skin tone and we associate that as different. And then we associate behaviors that skin tone has as part of the whole thing, right? Mm-hmm. But they've done a ton of research and disproven that a million times. There is more, here's what I'll say. A white person who grows up in a South Side Chicago neighborhood has more in common with the black people in that neighborhood than Will Smith's kids do. So we can obviously see that race isn't the biggest factor in who we are as people. It is a factor, absolutely. But it is not the biggest factor. Jaden Smith and Willow Smith are not indicative of what black people do. They're not indicative of what a a black person, like I said, or a a black person in Chicago, Atlanta, or any of these places would do. Mm -hmm. Usually we're talking about culture and culture comes from a much, much smaller place. The black people in Compton are not the same as black people in Maryland or Atlanta or Ohio or anywhere else for that matter. Uh, And that's one of the things I think we really have to start breaking down and trying to see is that it has a lot more to do with where you grow up than what your race is in that situation. Now, being fair to the whole situation, being a white person in those neighborhoods probably gives you a different experience. It absolutely does. Mm -hmm. But I do think you have a little bit more common culture from the people in those neighborhoods than you would from Bill Gates. You know what I mean? Like again, that white guy who's going on the South side of Chicago has no relationship uh, culture wise to Bill Gates. Yeah. Yeah. They're both white, but that's far and away different people. That's why they even have the phrase white trash. That's what they call most of my family. I spent Mm -hmm. the first few years of my life in a trailer, like, you know what I'm saying? I'm white trash. Their family is white trash, and I hope they don't watch this. But they are. <laughs> they just maybe they haven't internalized it yet. <laughs> yeah, because that was one of the jo- the jokes that Dave Chappelle did recently that I really liked it too. It's like uh, when he's talking about all, all those uh, what he called the dusty whites going to vote for President Trump, and he's like, he's going to fight for us, and he's like, you stupid motherfucker, he's going to fight for me. I'm rich. <laughs> it's like and he's like, I've been to those parties. They call the uh, you know those type of people trash. Like this is Dave Chappelle saying that I haven't been to those parties. I would leave. How dare you? These parties. I, yeah, I was like, why would I be at those parties? I'm not going to hang around where they're calling like my family members trash. <laughs> <laughs> it's nonsense but anyways a lot of a lot of tangents there but ultimately i think for me the the overall point of this entirety of this conversation but particularly the last part we talked about there is that we just have to be honest in the way that we're contextualizing these things mm-hmm. i don't need somebody to overtly come out and tell me that they're racist like again the georgia shooter being the perfect example he doesn't have to tell me he's racist you shot a bunch of asian people and went to places where there were going to be a high number of asian people that's racist behavior like just period point blank i don't like again for that guy who shot uh, in las vegas uh shot the country country um sorry the country uh concert yeah you're probably gonna have a high population of white people there yeah had he himself not been white then maybe this doesn't doesn't matter ultimately that's still a bit of racist thing. Like, obviously I'm going to find a high number of white people at a country concert. That's just demographically accurate. Right. Yeah. So, so I think ultimately those things matter. I think that the, the, the 
the population that you're choosing to do your actions in matter and you don't have to sit there and have a racist thought in your brain. You don't have to be Dylan Roof to be racist. Dylan Roof was clearly racist. He did that on purpose. He went to a black church, but still, you know what I mean? So I I completely uh, understand where you're coming from. I I totally get the argument. I disagree in the sense that if you happen to go to a place with a higher number of a particular race, that it was a racist action. I mean, just, you know, with the the massage part, which I kind of, you know, said previously that, you know, if he was, if stereo based on stereotypes, you know, the general kind of joke that people will make is like an Asian parlor. You go there, mm-hmm. you get extra, yeah, yeah. what you not call it. I don't think it's unreasonable to think that a person of such a low education, mental, say education, just what, any, whatever <laughs> thing it was about this guy, I don't know anything about his history, but I just, I mean, for yeah. you to go in and do this, you must be a pretty horrible person. So I wouldn't put it past him to just simply have this thing in his mind and say, I'm going to go to an Asian parlor until I find somebody doing these sex acts and I'm just going to blah, 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 simply based on the stereotype and just because he believes that. And maybe me saying that just points out the fact that it is connected to race. But yeah, that's what I'm saying. (laughs) Like the other part of me is just saying, okay, but if the stereotype had been white, then it wouldn't, then he would have just done the same thing in a white place or a black place. And so I get what you're saying. I guess I disagree with a little bit just because I don't think the audience necessarily, it's more about the cause, I think. But I, th- I think it's an interesting thought and I, I will think about it more and maybe I'll yeah. change my mind because I, I do get what you're saying. And I guess it's my own mind kind of struggling with the idea of where I'm comfortable labeling racism. And I, I really like to have that evidence just because I'm paranoid about it. But um just, I don't know if this will help or this will convolute it even further for you, but this is one of the ways that I've contextualized it in, in the past few years. I don't believe that the majority of people are individually racist. Right now, you and I sitting across from each other, uh, we're not going to be like, F your group, you're not going to be like, F my group, right? That's generally what we're not going to do. And then most people won't. But what we will see is people who, and I don't use this term because it's become a buzzword now or whatever. I just use it to try to describe the world. But the, we see things that they are systemically racist. And what I mean by that is, one-on-one we're not going to say anything about each other either but i may and i'll just point me because i don't want to keep painting like white man racist type shit right uh so maybe later i go oh but white people do x well that's systemically racist i'm casting everybody with a broad brush but now i'm not going to come to you and go you do x but i'm going to say white people do x and i think that's really what it comes down to for a lot of people is that we're not individually racist almost nobody is these days well i shouldn't say almost nobody there's plenty of people who are (laughs) but but, and we see them all the time yeah you can find clips online easy Uh, um but we just have to really just continue to, to think about what racism is because racism and prejudice is in 2021. It's not the 60s. It's not the 50s. It's not the 80s, 90s, whatever. It's going to continue to change. And we have to continue to just be aware of it because it may just be like the Georgia guy where he's going, hey, uh, Asian people give hand jobs at massage parlors. I'm going to go kill them. Well, hmm. that's that's what it may be. Again, he may not like write down manifesto like the dude did who shot all those uh, Hispanic people in I think it was Texas or was it Tulsa? I'm sorry, but that was that's how many freaking public shootings we have these days that I can't even keep track of it. But that guy wrote a manifesto saying that that we are being invaded by uh, Hispanic people. So that was directly and clearly racist racism, right? Yeah, yeah. He he wrote it down, but not everybody's that good for us. They don't do that as conveniently like Dylan Roof and him. Nice. Just go. Everyone said, by the way, I'm doing this because I'm racist. That'd make all the arguments much easier. We just need a ray. We just need like a little thing that like dings somebody on the forehead and go, yep, racist, not racist. But then it would probably just racist, racist, racist. <laughs> like we'd all get marked. You know what would happen though? <laughs> uh, 20 years down the line after that started happening, 
the next dispute would be, oh, so you trust a racist. <laughs> it's like you're going to take his word for it. And then we need to dispute whether or not we can trust whether or not this person saying they're a racist was actually true. So, but then that contradicts the whole idea because then you're admitting the person's a racist and you shouldn't trust a racist anyway. So, look, yeah, here's what we'll I'll say this problem there. <laughs> we all trust racists. I don't know why we have to pretend like racists are just, uh, racists are morally bankrupt people, but they are not like worthless completely when it comes to society. And I'm like, let me be clear, I'm not defending racism or racists. I'm just saying that we, that's one of the problems we have. We have this idea that, Racists are just the pariah of society. They're not. They're CEOs. They're they're this. They're that. You know, I don't want to paint anybody with just a racist brush. I'm not saying all CEOs are racist. To be clear, to be clear. yeah, right. It's like, oh, how dare you have all this money? Must be racist. But no, but on a guy that said every white person's a racist. <laughs> oh, my mom's gonna be pissed about that. Why did I say it like she's British? My mother is going to be mad about that. I don't know why I said mom. That was super weird. <laughs> Anyways, uh, I'm just saying that we have to keep in mind that people can be racist and still contribute to society. And we have can't just go, oh, he does volunteer work. He can't be racist. Yes, you can. You absolutely can. <laughs> yeah, that makes sense. So uh, in, in wrapping this up, I do have three quick questions. And the next two will be kind of quick. And it's kind of wrapped into one question. So I think you've kind of given your idea about this. But um, maybe you can just kind of reiterate into like a, a sentence or paragraph. How do we draw the line of what we distinguish as racism versus what we make exceptions for kind of like the stuff that I'm talking about where I'm requiring maybe too strict of evidence, but in my opinion, maybe in in your view, it's a little bit too quick to call racism. So how do we meet in the middle and find where, where is the line? Well, I think for me, the biggest thing is I hate lines. You should, we should analyze more situations on the merits of that situation. Yes, we should take sometimes outcome into effect, like the guy in Georgia shooting, you know, Asian massage pros. But we should also take intent into effect. We should take all these things into uh, uh, consideration and then look at them and make a decision based upon the scenario. I think we're too quick, and especially in the legal system, to look at what has happened before and then use that to paint everything forward or to look at the situation as setting a precedent going forward. We have to analyze more situations for the on their own merit. What this guy did here doesn't have anything to do with Dylan Roof specifically. It doesn't have anything to do with the other situations. Just stop trying to draw so many lines. Just look at the data you have. Look at the information you have and then just use some subjective and some quantitative data. I think that's really what we need to go to. Mm-hmm. Okay, yeah, that, that makes sense. And then finally, uh, if we were trying to heal this situation between the police and the black community where it seems like there's a lot of tensions going on, In your Mm -hmm. opinion, what can the police do? Like if we're talking about reform, I'm not for defunding. I think any change requires more funding in in my opinion. But Mm -hmm. what what can we do for the, or what can the police do in these communities to heal the divide and show that if if they are not racist, they don't have racist intent, what can they do to, to feel that divide? And then what can the black community do in your opinion to kind of meet halfway and say, okay, you're trying, we're gonna try like, what can they, where can they meet in the middle on this? Um, I think the one thing the police can do is the biggest thing they can do. I should say, actually, is that stop looking at us versus them. The police must like, much like the military call people civilians. Right. And they have this very us versus them mentality. That's where that blue wall of silence comes from. That's where all these things come from. Stop it. You live in these communities. These are your people that you're supposed to represent. Take that protect and serve uh, credo more seriously. 
stop trying to live out your your action movie fantasies with all this freaking gear and all this stuff you're trying to do. I'm not saying that's never necessary. I'm not saying there aren't drug dens you need to bust in and, you know, use your SWAT tactics on. That exists. I understand that. But stop seeing so many people like that. Stop fear-based policing. I think that's one of the things. And on the black side, on the, the black community, I think that you have to work with the police more. The police will make your communities better if you give them a chance to. Now, that is not just saying trust them blindly because they've shown they don't deserve that. But uh-huh. you should actually work with them more. You should work with them to make your neighborhoods better places. And I think that that's something that we have to continue to see. You know, on like I said, both sides of that. Black people need to work with the police more to improve the communities, whether that be some kind of uh, council that they, they, they meet monthly or whatever it is, like something that is a little bit more effective than just, you know, pay, paying lip service. So I think that's where how you do it. It has to be done together. I don't think you can do it either way because that's one of the things that both the Black Panthers and the Crips and Bloods gangs all started with the ideas of protecting communities. Black Panthers obviously went a very different way than Crips and Bloods did. <laughs> you know, the history shows that. Yeah. But that's what's going to happen if the police aren't able to get, gain the trust of the Black people. More organizations will show up to do this and then they're going to have to fund themselves and if they have to fund themselves that may lead to more illicit and then we start this whole thing over again so i think that we have to recognize that this needs to happen on both sides of that aisle nothing gets done by just one side dictating to the other black people can't tell the police what to do and hope to change everything and the police can't just go in there and say hey you just have to act in this way that changes everything Mm -hmm. all right well yeah that makes a lot of sense Brendan, I really appreciate you sticking around this long. I was thinking uh, I'd, I'd trap you for an hour, hour and a half, and uh, we're at two and a half hours here. So I really appreciate you being patient with me. And hopefully you don't think I'm a horrible, uh, racist human being for some of my prying questions and assertions. Well, I knew you were racist before I started. That was obvious. I mean, so <laughs> that's why. No, no, man. Thanks again. Thanks for having these conversations. I think it's one of the things that I, I told uh, the guy who originally got me started in trying to do podcasting and everything by asking me my opinion. I think more white people need to be involved in these conversations, dude, because that's black people have been having these conversations f- forever, like because we have to. Right. That's just part of our existence and everything. But I think where we really start to get better is more white people who can if they choose to. If you wanted to, you could avoid the conversation of race pretty largely. You know what I mean? It's getting harder to these days, I admit, but you probably could. So I think it's really good to do this work. To, to have these conversations. And even if we only change one person's minds or we make somebody think in one different way or whatever, I think just valuing that. We have to stop trying to look at things at such a high level that we act like this doesn't matter. This absolutely matters. And I support you trying to do this more often. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, I, I appreciate it. And even though I am a stubborn person, I keep kind of prying. I know we went in this circle a few times and I'm prying mm-hmm. a little bit. Um, you have said some things that uh, I haven't heard before. And so that's one of the reasons why I want to do this. Uh, there's a lot of people that are just not willing to have these conversations. And when I'm allowed to pry a little bit, I can hear different perspectives and angles. And I have got some new perspectives, some things that I need to think about and maybe put a little bit less emphasis into the direct statistics and you know, just look at it from a little bit of different perspective and consider some of the stuff that you talked about. And maybe I'm being a little bit too critical of... Uh, uh, statistics and then my requirement for evidence and what I label racism just because I, I try to avoid the, that term at all costs just because I'm afraid of it really. Um, so yeah, I, I do think I've learned a lot. I think I've got a lot to think about from this conversation. So I really appreciate it. Uh, Brendan, do you want to plug any of your social media information or anything like that or your podcast? Yeah, yeah sure. So 
If you want to see more conversations like this, again, like I said before, because I, I like to make it abundantly clear when I have these type of conversations, I don't only talk about race. I actually like talking about money a lot. But anyways, uh, come check me out at Starting Nowhere over on YouTube or anywhere that you listen to your audio podcast, including Spotify, Google Podcasts, iTunes, all that stuff. Uh, I'm also on Facebook at Starting Nowhere Podcast. Instagram at Starting Nowhere Pod and Twitter at Starting Nowhere. So just come tell me where you disagreed with what I had to say. Let's have more conversations like this. I, I enjoy them. I think they're they're very important to do. And so, like I said, thank you to you to have me on. Thanks for letting me ramble for the past two and a half hours. And hopefully you'll be able to edit a lot of my stuff together to sound like so I sound smarter than I actually am. Well, what I'm actually going to do is just edit you out completely. So it's a solo episode and it's just me, like making myself sound good. That's why you should do that. Definitely. That'll get you more viewers. <laughs> For sure. Absolutely. All right. Well, if you have any complaints with anything going on here, you can message me or Brandon. And uh, for me, it's systemicdcommunication at gmail.com. And we appreciate it if you've made it this long. We really appreciate it. And until next time, thank you.